Welcome to Creative Block. We're your host, V. And Carl. We interview people in creative industries about their life, work, and hobbies while we doodle jam. We ask people on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and Patreon. Yes, we are everywhere now, thanks to our new producer, Marco. Uh, so we asked people on uh, these platforms if they had specific topics they wanted us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Kay Ritter, a soon-to-be Kay Hayes. Hi! Hey, what's up? <laughs> How's it going? It's going great. Yeah, we got the uh, the courthouse wedding coming up, so I'm getting a full name rebrand, and I'll be taking my partner Haley's last name. It's awesome. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's elated about it, by the way, because it was this sort of tug of war of like, who's it going to be? Who's going to win out? Right? And the Hayes line continues. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really fun too because in this industry, you know, where we have like our credits at the end of the show or whatever, there's always kind of like that question, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, how are you going to handle the credits? But you, you said that you've already kind of like um, thought about that and like. Yeah, because um, like I'm credited on all of my other work as Caitlin Ritter. Um, I came out as non-binary this past year and I wanted to like change my name for sure. Uh, something that just more reflected me, my vibe. Um, so I went with Kay. And then subsequently, you know, like I'm engaged and we're talking about what are we going to do, you know, in terms of the last name. And I was like, well, I what I'm planning on doing is keeping my legal name, changing my middle name to K and just kind of being one of those. I go by my middle name type folks. And then my last name is going to be Hayes Um, because like we were talking about it. And Ritter is actually like a name that came into my family through like a remarriage um, it would be no. Rivera, actually. I should, like would have been Caitlin Rivera, but I was Caitlin Ritter because my grandmother got remarried. So I don't mm-hmm. have like a strong connection really to like my last name. So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, Kay Hayes, it sounds great. Let's go with it. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that it like kind of like <laughs> is a little bit of a, a an occasion for people to think about like their ancestry, their family, and everything. Yeah, and totally for sure. Yeah, just kind of like what's in a name, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> just mm-hmm. immediately. <laughs> Plus, that just sounds swift. One syllable yeah. haze, and I'm, you know, and hey, K H. Hey, that's yeah. that, that's pretty cool initials, right? Because yeah, my totally. initials are 100%. the same. Welcome to the K H Club, right? No, no, no. no. <laughs> oh yeah, hey, look at that. <laughs> I love um, it. Talking about, um, I'm so horrible at segues, you guys. Like, whenever Sean Plus is on the show, we have to show, draw like, at the same time. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm like, Whoa. I'm like Sean. Come up with a segue. But um, I, I was gonna say um, talking about animation credits. Um, how? <laughs> what was kind of like the moment in your life when you realized that you you could make a career out of animation? Oh man. Um, I remember like the first thing that I ever watched where I suddenly started like like the thing that did it for me was honestly Invader Zim um (laughs) I had a cousin who worked at Nickelodeon I forget honestly in what capacity he was like my second cousin and all I knew was he was this big important guy in New York and he did stuff for Nickelodeon um and he had this like early copy of a VHS tape with the first episode of Invader Zim and he's like I'm gonna show you this I don't know if it was fully kosher, but he showed it to me. He's like, I feel like you're going to love it. And he he had my number because I was like glued to my television watching that show. Like I was so drawn in by it. And that was the first thing that I like, I sat all the way through the credits and was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like what, 
what's a director? What's a storyboard artist? Like what, like people make this, you know, like I, I didn't mm-hmm. really like think about stuff like that until I saw that. Um, so that one was like extremely formative for me. And then, you know, I always like was a kid who liked to draw, but I feel like I start, I've always had the OC bug in me. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. my, my beginnings were in the Nightmare Before Christmas fandom on DeviantArt, which I will admit this publicly and probably regret it. I have had two <laughs> real life, like meet space people who I am friends with come up to me and recognize me for the part that I played in that fandom. Like, they know my fan. They literally, Sam King, I don't know if you know Sam King, Carl, she, (laughs) she, yeah, she, she was one of them. She, like, recognized me from my fan fiction for Nightmare Before Christmas and those OCs that I made because it was, like, I guess at least somewhat infamous. And uh, so, like, I've had two people come up to me and be like, oh, hey, like, you're Bone Daddy with an E. I'm like, you wrote this fanfic and these were your characters. And I'm like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> like, it's it's followed me. Um, so I, Invaders in was no different. I, I had an Urkin OC. I don't remember their name. But I, I've always, <laughs> like, gotten super, like, hyper fixated on whatever thing appealed to, like, my, you know, little weird goth self and um you know those were the things that really kind of made me scratch my head about like who makes these and what goes into like animation production and um you know obviously like when we were starting to grow up you know the internet was becoming a thing and um uh just more present in our lives and I DeviantArt was a big part of like kind of that for me like just meeting people um on DeviantArt, talking to different artists. I ended up making friends with people who were out here in California, you know, who were CalArts graduates or whatever, when I was like 14, 15. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, and they, one of them told me about the CalArts summer program and was like, you should apply. Like, you're the age in, you know, high school now where you could apply to do this and, like, get an education kind of in how animation works because this person saw my interest in animation and was like, you know, I don't know how much of that you're going to get in rural New Jersey. (laughs) And I was Mm -hmm. certainly Mm -hmm. aching for it, you know, and I, in where I'm from, like, our art was sort of like, okay, we're going to, do this pastel piece you know that's like a duplicate of a famous art painting and we're gonna do highlights on circles right it's like rudimentary stuff but my my want for cartooning and animation and stuff was not as like that appetite wasn't fed so I Mm -hmm. applied and I got in I went out when I was 15 and I turned 16 out there um (laughs) And it was really cool. It was like a two-month program. I was so scared. My mother cried dropping me off on the campus because I was like a baby. And it's like two months of being away from everybody and everything. Um, But it was great. It was the best. And I had the best time. And that really like solidified like, yeah, this is what I want to do for a career. And kind of gave me a little more insight into how to achieve that and what careers are maybe available to somebody with that appetite, right? How did you celebrate your birthday away from home? <laughs> I, uh, being me, and I have not changed, and I would do this, like, for my next birthday were it possible. I went to Chuck E. Cheese to be around. Oh, <laughs> creepy, creepy I animatronics. mean, you were of the age. I guess <laughs> yeah. you were a child. Well, you know, the funny thing is apparently I wasn't because they <laughs> make the animatronics sing happy birthday to kids, but because I was 16, they wouldn't do it. So, what? yeah, so they wouldn't sing to me, um, which was such a bummer. And because I was refund, yeah, I know, right? Because I mean, shocking no one, probably. I'm also really into Five Nights at Freddy's, like, almost from just like a pure nostalgia point. But I definitely, like, in like 
the year 2016, 2017 made like a a golden Freddy uh like suit sort of. I mean, it came together in like probably less than a week. So it was it wasn't sustainable. It was like I'm wearing this for <laughs> Halloween and that is it. It's going to fall apart by the end of the night. Um but I love creepy animatronics. Like I love that, you know, creepy 90s nostalgia 80s you know vibe so um Mm -hmm. yeah so I went I went there for my 16th birthday um (laughs) and it was the best and then you know we had a giant sheet cake and we kind of just left it in the CalArts lobby and a bunch of people came and ate it we did a pinata on the campus it was fun um that's so cool but yeah my I remember that year in particular very well because the very last Harry Potter book came out on my birthday and totally upstaged any birthday wishes from friends Uh, so (laughs) it was like nobody gave a shit about my birthday that year they were just like I'm waiting in line at Barnes and Noble and nothing else is happening today so I was like okay well (laughs) I guess it's it's just as well that I'm in California none of my friends remember (laughs) Wow, that's so crazy. Yeah, it was yeah. a really good time. <clears throat> I do I do agree with you that when you d- said the thing about, like, cartooning, like, there's not a lot of classes, or at least I, when we were growing up, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's not a lot of people teaching cartooning. Like, a lot of classes are, like, what you said, like, like fine artsy, and it's, like, it's, I mean, it is good to practice but it, it's such a different skill than yeah what you need in animation yeah it's funny I they made us do like a political cartoon at one point for oh. a school assignment which I was like okay <laughs> um so I drew some probably terribly horrendously uninformed political cartoon and like through that lens my art teacher finally appreciated like oh I see you want to do like this kind of cartoon and I was like no (laughs) not really (laughs) but like it was it was just I think he was of a different generation and maybe just a different you know style of art so he just didn't really know how to encourage my growth uh in that way but um I actually went back to the school like years later after I had like gotten my first job and everything and just did a little talk to his class and I think he like he got it a little bit more at that point like um so but yeah I think um it was it was just really cool and my parents were always you know by the way really encouraging of me uh locking myself in my room and being on my little bamboo tablet for hours and like I was I wasn't the most anti-social kid but like you know I'd be on my computer on DeviantArt or drawing isolated away from family and my aunts and uncles would be like you know you let her you know at the time her stay in her room all day and do all this stuff and you know she should be outside doing whatever and my parents were like "Mm," like you know they're good. They're up in their room. Like they're they're getting their own education, talking to people in California. Like we're we're all right with it. Um and I, I was very grateful for that because I was getting an education. It was just atypical, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was fun. That's so true. Um <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It, you do yeah, you do have to be a little bit of a weirdo kid to to be too. Yeah, it's kind of part of the whole thing, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Yep. Um <laughs> So where did you, did you go to college for animation? I did, did uh... yeah. I ended up not going to CalArts. Um, I went to the, <gasps> I know. <laughs> no hate, no hate. Just, you know, I uh, rep in the East Coast. It's all good. Um, but yeah, I went to uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, I mm. 
had the worst week of my life. Uh, I got rejected from CalArts, which, like, is, from what I understand, is fairly typical. I mean, even when I went to CISA, there was, um, God, I forget the artist, which is a shame. Um, But this guy, he ended up going to Pixar, and he was a Pixar artist who came to talk to us, talked about how he got rejected, like, three times. And so it's a tough, you know, it's a tough school to get into. Um, And especially kind of if you're coming from out of state and, uh, you know, certainly, like, another country or something sometimes. And, uh, frankly, I don't think my skills were up to snuff quite yet. So totally understandable. Um, But, you know, my parents wanted me in school, and I kind of wanted to get out of New Jersey. So I went to SCAD. Uh, it seemed like a cool place. I didn't actually know that much about it, but I got rejected. My first girlfriend broke up with me that same week. So I was oh. like, yeah, I was like, all right, whatever. Just get me out of here. Like, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta do something. Uh, so I went there, honestly, without very much, like, research into it. Um, but, you know, we toured the city, and it's a beautiful city. I really love that place. Um, we actually, when Haley and I got engaged, um, were really weird uh we have a lot of virgo energy between the two of us but we did this thing we did a thing that's like kind of weird but also everybody i talked to about it's like wow that's really cool like i you know that's a really unique way to do a proposal basically we we both knew that we were going to propose but we didn't know the exact day or how and we planned a trip um Mm -hmm. where we went to we went to oahu and then we went to savannah i wanted to show her like my college town and we each proposed to each other um, so we knew that by the end of the trip, we were going to be engaged to each other, but we didn't really know anything more than that. Um, so that was really cool. And, you know, we got to go around Savannah and, um, you know, she loved it too. And it's, it's just the best. Um, and yeah, so I went out there, um, and you know, that school's very, uh, like it's a very wealthy school. <laughs> um, they have like virtually mm-hmm. anything you could ever need to make a great film, to educate yourself. Um, I personally found the curriculum a little lacking um Mm. for some of like at the time like storyboarding resources um and you know I think it's improved since then like just from what I've seen in terms of the student work and what I've heard um from you know people there but I struggled a little bit to feel like I was building the portfolio that like a portfolio that could compete with people at CalArts, right. you know, um, mm-hmm. and and it, and at the very least, what could showcase the skills I was hoping to showcase um, as I got clearer and clearer to um, my goal of being like a storyboard artist, right? Like I was like, I just don't feel like I have the portfolio pieces that I'm looking for, um, mm-hmm. and I ended up taking like a ton of independent study classes um, oh. and just kind of doing it myself, like I. I didn't really use a lot of my student work um, to get a job or to use in my portfolio. I just kind of partnered up with like a professor or two and got them to maybe give me some prompts or help me find some inspiration for some personal project portfolio pieces. And uh, that's kind of how I built out that portfolio and toured that around and ended up getting like um, my first gig, which was a story traineeship at Blue Sky. Um Whoa. Yeah. So you mean that like um you you sought out your professors and asked them for extra yep. extra work? work. Yep. Yeah, I sure and, did. <laughs> but it was all within your school, right? It wasn't yeah. like any classes exactly. that were that you were paying on top of SCAD. Nope. It was just yeah. um, you know, I, I worked hard to make sure that I would have the option to have some independent studies. Um and then I just kind of worked with professors I trusted to come up with a curriculum to kind of keep me on task um Mm -hmm. and that was really fun and it was rewarding because it's like I you know I got to 
do the character designs. I got to do a little bit of like um, visual exploration for like the locations. And then I got to storyboard some sequences. So I mm. had this sort of whole portfolio that reflected almost like a little feature that I made up myself. <laughs> um, wow. And that, you know, ended up like getting me a job, which was really cool. Um, but it was a lot of like me kind of taking that on myself, you know, um, yeah, and that can be yeah. really difficult. But what I did was I just looked at the portfolios of board artists who had become feature storyboard artists. Um, cause there was a lot of those floating around like on Blogspot back in the day. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, they were just kind of around for you to look at. And I was like, OK, so like this is the work that got that person that job. I'm going to try to do my version of that. And, you know. Uh, appreciate and acknowledge the skills that are on display in this portfolio and see how I can learn from that to build something that showcases what it seems like the skills, you know, that need to be showcased or, you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, and that's super smart. I feel like, cause I do agree. Like, I don't know, Carl, also if you agree, but like, I feel like there's not a lot of schools that really, um, have a storyboard um curriculum it's usually least, like a part it's yeah. like rolled into pre-production or some or that's what quote unquote you know pre-pro it was called mm -hmm. at our school but i I, re I mean hey it worked out i guess because like look you know you were able to like land that thing with blue sky and i, I remember noticing you and your like i i don't know if this was part of your extracurricular stuff but i remember seeing something you did that was like a, a krampus uh oh yeah thing. that was my student film yeah yeah i thought well this is fantastic you <laughs> know oh, and it thanks. like and and um and then when I found out you were a blue sky trainee i was like oh hey and, like i was gonna mention like yeah it, it's funny because there, there are certain things in your journey that, that like touchstones that were very close to sort of my own. Cause, yeah. Because uh, I was at, I was an intern at Blue Sky the year before you were, and I, That's I right. almost went to SCAD. We would have graduated, I think, oh, the wow. same year. Yeah. Because I'm from the South, and I actually it oh, was wow. one of the choices I was gonna do, but I, I ended up, I <clears> at the last <throat> second, I you know I, I went to Ringling instead. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so. I, I understand, like, I had heard the same kind of thing from some other folks, but that was a pretty good year, though. I don't know if it was because of you and a handful of other folks, but it's always the people, I guess, yeah. that make it great. Um, 100%. I, you know. um, yeah, it's it's interesting with SCAD. I mean, I, I actually think it's changed, so it, it's been, <laughs> I'm at the point where I'm like, it's been 10 years since I graduated. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> That's, like, freaking me the hell out, but it's the truth. Uh, so it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's just weird. Um, but, uh, you know, in the 10 years since I graduated, it's, it's different now. But when I was a student there, um, you, everybody did have to make their own senior film, but it's not like CalArts where kids were making like a film a year, right? And kind of going mm -hmm. through that process in repetition every four years. I actually didn't feel like I got to animate anything until my junior year, um, which was kind of frustrating. Like it was, I mean, foundations are incredibly important and, you know, everyone, I mean, I especially could go back to life drawing and learn something new every time, right? Like it's, you never want to get too far away from the basics because um, we use them every day. But like I was aching to get into boarding and animation and that stuff that like, you know, I wanted mm. to do for a living. And we really didn't get there in the curriculum until like junior year in earnest. And uh, I'm looking at, you know, CalArts kids are making a film a year and I'm like, oh my God, like that's so much work and um you know there's there's pros and cons um to this but scad had you make one film uh your senior year it had to be at least 45 seconds of animation um but they would allow you to sort of delegate 
um, you didn't have to do everything yourself the way that like, you know, in CalArts, it's like you're more or less responsible like for the whole thing, right? Um, again, at least back 10 years ago, that's sort of what I was seeing um, was it's, it's more or less one person kind of taking on most of the work. Um, and that was a reflection of is basically your portfolio for the year, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, SCAD, for me, I, I kind of immediately went into directing <laughs> um, because I mm -hmm. was focused so much on building my portfolio in these uh, independent studies that I was taking that I honestly um, – didn't really care as much about my film uh like I wanted to make one um for the fun of it and everything and for the experience but I was like I don't have the story portfolio that I want to be able to shop around to get a job so like I was much more focused on on that personally mm -hmm. uh so I saw that 45 second minimum and I was like perfect and honestly <laughs> if you do watch my student film which is the uh group von Krampus fam uh film that uh Carl's talking about uh, it's mostly a slideshow. <laughs> it, it's mm -hmm. like some UPA-ish style illustrations that work as like um, a, a slideshow effectively. And then there's like a little bit of animation. And uh, I had a couple other friends rough that animation for me. And then I went and did tie down on all of it. So uh, there's some of my animation in it. And then there's a bunch of my friends who like jumped in to animate the shots that I boarded. Um, and that I had two of my, uh, motion media friends composited and one of my professors did the voice and I paid a guy for the music and I was like, okay, pfft, there it is. <laughs> like I did it, you know, now I can graduate. Um, so, you know, I had like a, a little bit of a vision for it. Um, but I, I had a level of detachment from it to be totally honest, because I was just focused on, on other stuff. Um, and I don't regret it because I think that helped me get a job mm. um but now actually in the time since i hear that scad is sort of leaning into that idea that like they i guess they only pick a couple films to produce and then people join on to those films and take mm. different roles so like you might board for the film or you might be an animator on the film or you might be a compositor like so it's it's a little bit more like a an honest pipeline right um and i think there's there's pros and cons to both. I mean, there's lessons to be learned in both. Like doing something where you're a hundred percent accountable, kind of great because you're you're sort of figuring out like what it is you like about the animation pipeline and maybe what you want to lean into doing within it. Um, for me, I I think I sort of knew like storyboarding and directing was my favorite part. Like I think mm -hmm. I just kind of knew that pretty early. Um, but some people are still figuring it out, and so I think like making your own film really helps you figure out that stuff um but right. then just the same it's like if you kind of know then being able to delegate things and and direct your own film in a sense is like helpful experience too because then you're managing people and you've got to deal with deadlines and communication and like it's you know um so it's interesting um looking back and now looking you know currently at what's being done um and seeing how, how that's all sort of played out but that was my experience uh <laughs> with that one and uh yeah, it was fun. It was fun making my yeah. professor do that weird UPA voice. That was Sounds great. Sounds like you got like the absolute best kind of experience out of it. Like, and you even even understood like sort of like how to take how you could cater it in such a way that it would like ultimately benefit you. And mm -hmm. you know, it, it sounds like yeah, a good uh, uh it, it sort of like um helped sort of shape what would eventually become kind of the. The, the same engine that you would use to direct um and i know that's like skipping a bit ahead but 
Yeah, that's like yeah, the fact that you were able to like multitask and delineate and like make something. Yeah, yeah no, no, or, you're you're totally right about that because actually, I believe God, I want to say it was Nate Rag is the artist that I'm talking about that came to CalArts. Um, this he was like he showed us a lot of his Ratatouille art. Um, and I think he did like the the credits sort of design like look of 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 show sort of for the the credits on Ratatouille. Um, like oh, yeah. it was his art direction. I want to say it was Nate Rag. Um, but that, what that man who unfortunately I, God, I hope I'm getting his name right. Uh, what he imparted on me really stuck with me because I, I kind of saw myself a little bit in what he talked about. He showed us some of his portfolio work when he was at CalArts and he would do this like really character heavy detailed illustration of like like a creepy lunch lady right but then mm -hmm. only her fingers would be like doing this like creepy wiggling rotation right um and it there it was very minimal animation but it was so impactful from like a storytelling perspective and a character perspective and i relate to that because like um we'll get into this for sure but i like with my aphantasia that i have and also just me I think as a person, like my, my stamina for drawing can actually be kind of like low sometimes. And mm. I, um, I think compared to like some of the people I know, some of my friends who are artists. Um, and so for me, it's like, I care so much about like characterization and story intention. And, um, I also have heard said by like many people I respect, you know, like a good storyboard drawing, um, it's kind of like you want one drawing to communicate each new idea like ideally right obviously yeah. we work in an industry where there are different demands all the time for storyboarding and you kind of need to adjust per the production and you know the needs of the production and and all that but generally speaking I think there's truth to that like you you want mm -hmm. each drawing to communicate a different idea sometimes the ideas mean you know a stronger need for 2d animation again it just depends but like I, I just relate to that sentiment I want my story intention to come across in the things that I draw as quickly and as clearly as possible. Um, and I feel like, yeah, that's kind of what I, what I did, I, I guess, or what I attempted to do with my film was like, okay, I have this idea. I'm going to do the parts of it that I know that I can do well and quickly. And then I'm going to ask for help with all the other stuff. And then I'm going to get back to work on this other thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, I, and that's honestly what appealed to me about getting into boarding as opposed to like, I, I wondered if I wanted to do character design for a while, but I don't really have, again, that stamina for like really rendering things out and like getting very painterly with things. Like I kind of just want to, I want to execute my idea and move on, you know, to the next one. Yeah. And I want to live in many different characters' heads at very many different periods in their story. And so like storyboarding to me appealed for like the the speed, right, of it. Right. Um so, I think yeah, that's very so relatable. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like for me also. I'm like I like storyboarding for that reason. Mm -hmm. It's like oh, you you're you're with the characters and it's very fast and you can work loose and and rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I also have a hard time um, finishing like a, a painting. It's like oh my god, this like yeah. I have so much appreciation for for people who can. And I remember like this is this is just dumb stuff that like I'm like wow, I can't believe like it took me this long in my my life and my artistic career to learn these things but like it didn't really dawn on me until like during the pandemic I think that illustrators will start a drawing one day and they will like walk away from it for a few days and then come back and finish it and like 
Maybe it will take them like a week or two or even longer to finish one piece. Like to me, I was like, well, no, they just sit down and they they do what we do, right? Like they just and I was like, oh wow, interesting. I would never do that. Like I have so much respect, but like, yeah, it's and I and it's funny because when I am doing something a little more like character designy or illustrative, um, it always looks better if I take a break. Like if I if I leave it alone for like a day or two or I step away and I come back to it, it always looks better. Um, but I'm so in the habit of just like, okay, idea out, next idea in. Like and so yeah. it's like it's funny, those things competing, uh those sensibilities competing. Yeah. <clears throat> you talked a little bit about your aphantasia. Can you yep. explain a little bit what it is? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh that's another one that I learned about during the pandemic. Um I had like <laughs> I'm sure everyone maybe has seen that like it was like a meme image or something on I, I saw it on Twitter back when I was on Twitter um, of like an apple. And it's like, how do you visualize an apple? And it would show like a bright red, you know, fully rendered apple and then like a brownish shadowy sort of out of focus apple and then like black. You know, there was like it was a degree of five versions of that. But that was essentially mm-hmm. it. Right. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Like in your mind's eye, like I don't I don't see anything. Um <laughs> if somebody tells me like oh think of a dog like my my fiance will be like yeah I think of like a golden retriever running in the grass and like I can mm-hmm. you know fully see it as if it's a movie playing in my head and I'm like excuse me <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't what like I it's a total I I don't have a mind's eye um I can't visualize anything in my mind um and I learned that people can and that artists many of my artist friends can and so I'm like wait a minute like so you want to draw something and you can kind of conceive of the drawing in your mind before you put pen to paper and like that's wild to me like I even I did one drawing on the sport so far and it's like you can see I did like three sort of layers because I am pulling from nothing like I, I I it takes me a minute to kind of find my way when I'm drawing even though I've been doing it for so long it's like wild um and I remember when I went to CalArts uh, for their summer program, they have you do uh, like a sketchbook um, and they kind of, they don't like grade you on it, but they check in and they give you notes about how you do sketches and stuff. And one of the notes that I got um, when I was 16 was like, you know, try to just go for like straight to line more often, like do less sketching is kind of what they were inferring. Mm, and I, and I couldn't, I just couldn't. And I realize now maybe why that is uh, because I, I'm pulling from nothing. And it's like, even though I've drawn people and animals and whatever, like a million times, I really struggle without like a point of reference. Like sometimes, like if somebody were to tell me like, oh, draw a corgi right now, I'd have to Google it. Like I'd have to at least see like the form (laughs) of the animal because it's not just going to come up in my head. Um, And yeah, I didn't realize that that was not like a thing that people (laughs) dealt with. And I've, I've met a couple of uh, like artists and some of my friends actually also have it. And it's always interesting to talk to them and like, uh, you know, ask them about their process. And uh, one thing that I've heard a couple people like me say is like, what, like when I would get like a song sequence on Tangled, um, I remember one of my directors was like, that's really weird. Like that that's your process for handling this, but I would get the, I would get the song. um, And then you know, along the the stanzas or, you know, on the page with the lyrics, I would start a list of what I wanted to happen. So like, 
it's like I would read the lyrics and then I'd have an arrow and I'd be like at this point like Rapunzel's on Maximus and he runs faster and faster and then they jump across the moon and there's this wipe of fireflies and like I would literally list what I wanted to happen in order of how I wanted it to happen and I I work Mm. from lists even in just scripted dialogue sequences like I would be like and then you know Varian crosses the room and goes and gets this prop and throws it to so and so like I I had to list what I wanted to happen like almost like prose <laughs> like a you know what's you know that's actually really funny that you're bringing that up uh-huh. because i've noticed um there are kind of different ways of approaching storyboards and i have been on a show um r.i.p wings of fire uh-huh. but oh, um yeah, but that was how we um we were kind of like told to go about our sequences mm. because since we were working in blender pretty much previs um we pretty much in previous for boards um in order to save on time and to have like our the director and then the supervising director kind of okay on the scene we would work that way which mm-hmm. was like a list of bullet points of like and then this character does this and then this and yeah we have this kind of shot and this kind of shot so it's i it's funny that your director had never seen that before because i I've seen that workflow in a couple of situations. Yeah. And then, yeah, obviously you have like the, the approach that's just like, like di- directly to thumbs. So like directly yep. to drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there was another time, um, it was a, it was on Tangled again. Um, one of my, one of the, uh, you know, one of my bosses on that show, he got like kind of frustrated with me because I, I was having a really tough time. It was this really awful location. Not awful. It was just complicated um, that I had to mm. do a board in. It was this circular room uh, with. Oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I say awful. Yeah. Just because for a board yeah. artist. Yeah. Uh, it was a... like, like just for the audience when you have uh-huh. this circular room, it's really hard because no matter how you shoot the mm-hmm. scene, it always looks the same. Yeah. It's really hard to make it clear that you're not crossing your line. And yes. yeah, exactly. So, uh, and on top of it being a circular room, it was an action sequence with eight characters. Um, oh my god! And the set was oh supposed to get destroyed in that <laughs> sequence. And for someone like me, that's a really tough thing to visualize. And so, I was having a really tough time with it. And I, I, you know, I did overhead schematics to try to like map it mm-hmm. out for myself because that that actually helps me a fair amount. Um, but he was he got kind of annoyed with me i think and was just sort of like i don't understand like can't you just like picture a camera and like drop the camera in and see this shot and see this and i felt crazy cuz i was like no i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> like but that's i guess so, but i guess that's... people can and so it's you know like i think he just thought because he can that i can and and it's like nope i I think it's very common that um, sometimes uh, artists, like if, especially if you're like a little bit like newer in leadership mm-hmm. or like if you haven't worked with a ton of artists, it's very common for someone to assume other people yeah, work the same work way. Yeah, the way that they work. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because the way you work is also very, it's also a way of working that I've found in adult when I worked on Captain Fall that's how we worked as well we did the overhead schematics and Mm -hmm. because we were working with people from live action and that's how live action people work yeah it's so funny it's really really interesting so yeah you have an approach that's a little bit just it's a little bit more live actiony in a way yeah it's really it's yeah um and so yeah I, I remember like I I asked one of my friends I was like so like if I tell you like envision a kitchen 
right now. Mm -hmm. Like you can make the whole kitchen in your brain and you can just walk around the kitchen like as if you're on a house tour. And she was like, yeah. I was like, what the hell, dude? Like it's, it's, I kind of had like a little bit of a, like not to be dramatic, but like a mourning period about it. Cause I was like, it kind of like turned my world upside down. I was like, wait, like there, how am I even able to be an artist? Like when people can, can do this, but it, it did kind of like help me understand why maybe I feel a little like burnt out sometimes drawing because right. it, you know, it takes a minute for me to find my way. But it also really explained to me why I sought out art and a career in art. It's like I I kind of want to manifest these things that I don't see, right? Like in order for mm -hmm. me to make an emotional animatic, you know, of my OCs, I literally have to make it. So that, yeah. in, that impulse to do it is definitely there. And then I learned also um, Glenn Keane has aphantasia, uh, which is – crazy and honestly yeah like you had mentioned carl like kind of yeah. makes sense um when you look at his his artwork it's very gestural it's very emotional and that's kind of where i pull from because I'm, I'm not pulling from visual memory when i draw things i'm pulling from like what is this character feeling like what's that the mood of this what's the attitude mm -hmm. why you know and i ask that question in story rooms like all the time like why is this happening why is the character doing this what is the emotional truth and like I feel like that's something that I can tell in in you know Glenn's art he really also seeks and you know again just the the very gestural sort of exploratory uh nature of his work um mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's it was like reassuring that like such a great artist could also have that what I was seeing as like a, a weakness or a problem yeah um, I mean it becomes all of a sudden like a more powerful like re reference point to build like something mm -hmm. that's even more emotionally resonating because it isn't just the first the essence of the I conceit for an idea it isn't mm -hmm. like mere form but the emotion which is kind of like the even more holy denominator of like what a story is and right. then when you build on top of that you get something that's like yeah very very like honest and authentic and yeah. then like because all that other stuff is not superfluous but you know it's like sick the other stuff is like the the meat that's built on top of the like soul engine of an idea and then i don't know like you can tell yeah with his work how he's carving it out and i kind of i almost wonder if because i i i feel like i used to and I, maybe i i do work that way too sometimes right i have to like try things out uh, you know you have to will it mm -hmm. into existence or whatever like the way you were describing and oh uh, yeah it's, it's very interesting and it's like energy energy yeah. comes before physicality yeah and 100%. it's animation so that's sort of making yeah i don't know it's well it's like yeah i kind of have to know the why of you know something to be able like i have to go from there you know like it's because i i described it as like i feel like i'm straight aheading everything that i do until i find it because that is sometimes like even in my boards like i i don't necessarily have the full thing in my head when i get started i might have a few shots that I'm like oh yeah in this moment I can see very clearly and I might try to work towards that but there will be holes and I'll have to figure out how to fill those holes and then I'll have to go back and change stuff and maybe that's like fairly common for other people who don't have this but like yeah I I don't know it just it crystallized like why I do some of the things that I do for me um just kind of in understanding like 
how I make the art that I make and, you know, all that. Um, and that was just like a wild thing that I learned during the pandemic. Had no idea that like <laughs> that was even a, a possibility. Uh, blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I love I love to hear that because I feel like um, hearing a little bit how people, um, how different artists go about the same work, but in different ways. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit. So you've you've done storyboards, yes. obviously on um on Tangled, mm -hmm. which is a pretty darn awesome show. Uh, with a very big fan base, yeah. And then you've um you've graduated to uh, directing. Mm -hmm. So can you also at Disney, right? Yeah. On Monsters. Network. Yes. Uh huh. Can you tell us a little bit what the difference is between storyboarding and directing? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So you know, storyboarding. I was boarding at Feature. Um. I after Blue Sky I went to Warner Brothers Animation Group. Um. And I worked on. I did a little bit of like I helped on like a sequence on Storks and then I was working more <laughs> dedicatedly on Smallfoot with Sergio Pablos when he was attached to the project. And, um, you know, I there are a lot of things I like about feature. Uh, but for me, there were these periods of stagnancy like I it was a lot of like waiting around for executive mm -hmm. review or story changes. And I felt myself like I felt my skills waning a little bit like I felt like I was mm -hmm. not drawing very much and I was kind of bored a lot honestly and uh so I I was uh, I had there were people at Disney TVA that reached out to me um and uh they wanted to pitch me the Tangled series and I went in and I was so enthusiastic about the pitch that I was initially given and then I was curious you know about TV and how how things kind of work there so I, I jumped over to that and the speed of that really encouraged me like I really like in tv that things have to happen uh that mm -hmm. you know there is a deadline and it is encroaching and there's a limited budget and you have to make decisions because of those things um sometimes I think feature it's too much time too much money uh mm -hmm. and I think ideas that are really strong can get watered down through too many political factors and like you know, a, a lot of even just the too much time and too much money of it all. It's like you have a lot of time to stray from yeah. what could be mm -hmm. a really strong idea. And TV, it's like not really like you kind of got to just keep moving, Um, you know, yeah. and there's there's flaws with everything. There's strengths with everything, of course, that being said. But like I just personally really enjoyed the pace of television and the ownership of television because I felt for the first time like something yeah. that I boarded, it, it ended up directly on the screen in front of me. And understanding that level of accountability um, yep. was really cool. It's scary, but cool. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you you really understand how what you do sets the next, you know, person up for success or failure. And uh, you, you care a lot about your work and what you're putting up. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just a nice a feeling of ownership to have. And um, so boarding... Um, I loved a lot about it. I love being able to get into a character's head. Um, I love, you know, I really live for like emotional, like dramatic moments. <laughs> like really, I like breaking characters. Um, I like putting characters in, you know, uncomfortable situations and finding both like just the pathos, the comedy and the drama mm -hmm. in that. Um, and uh, I, I think like character exploration was my bread and butter within storyboarding um, for that reason. And directing, um, it, the way I became a director was kind of weird. For me, it was weird because I, I finished on Tangled um, 
I, I did direct a short, kind of mostly self-directed a short for Tangled, but it didn't end up getting made because Rapunzel was not in it. And so Disney mm. was not interested in producing oh. it. Um, yeah, it was kind of a bummer, but and it was really like a challenging one because it was all about the mime character. So it was just <gasps> full pantomime, like just like all oh my God. <laughs> wordless visual storytelling. And it was really a challenge for me, but it was really fun. Um, so yeah, that didn't happen. So I had like, I wouldn't say that that qualified as directing experience because I was really just directing myself. But um, I at mm. least knew that that was something I was interested in. And they had, you know, they talked to me about what was kind of coming down the pipe and they mentioned the Monsters at Work show, um, which, you know, had lived many lives in development as like a Disney Junior show initially, as a 2D show in, or initially. Mm. It, and then they had like decided, okay, no, it's going to be four quadrant premium product for Disney+. Plus. Uh, we're trying to emulate the movie visually and storytelling wise. So we're going to have you test for it just to see, you know, if you can hang with the 3D pipeline and like all that stuff. It had been a minute since I had done features. So I was like, OK, mm -hmm. and I tested. And when I when I went to the meeting for them to talk to me about like what the test would reflect and what they um, wanted out of it, it was just the two main characters, Tyler and Val uh, on the laugh floor, and they were fixing a door. And that was really it. They're like, you know, don't worry about adding dialogue. Just, like, go full physical comedy. Like, you know, like, mm. it don't – It there was no script, really. It was just kind of like, that's what happens. So make it visually comedic. And I was like, okay, uh, I'll try and do that. And so I, I went away and I watched the movie again to try to, like, study up. And then I started doing the test. Um, I honestly procrastinated for a while because I was kind of nervous. <laughs> and, yeah. and then I did it like that weekend before I was supposed to turn it in. Um, and I ended up like I wrote dialogue. I wrote like a song for Val because she used to play a ukulele. They gave her a ukulele as a prop. So I wanted to use that. And I had her sing this song. And basically like the long and short of it was she was trying to pitch this song she was writing to Tyler while at the time Tyler's a very different character in this iteration. And he was um, really focused. He wanted to be like a dedicated handyman. So he was very focused on trying to get this door fixed. And Val kind of clumsily uh did something that rigged the door to carry Tyler up and out kind of into that giant door vault that you see in the film and then Val had to go rescue him and Tyler found himself inside of a kid's room and as a mechanic not a jokester he had no idea how to handle that audience with that child so he's like mm -hmm. trying to tell all these like bad jokes and stuff and um, it's weird because like the, the show ended up kind of going in that direction, but like at the time it wasn't going in that direction. Um, so I, I did all this crazy, totally like the exact opposite of what they told me to do. And I was, I, I did it all. Like it was like a fever dream. And then I, I hit submit, I sent it. And then immediately I like had a panic attack. I was like, Oh my God, like what did I just turn in? Like, they're going to hate it they're gonna think I was so disrespectful like I didn't listen to any of the stuff they told me to do and I like cried about it <laughs> I was like oh my God. I was so nervous like I felt like I blew it and then they called me in and they were like hey uh we reviewed all the tests blind and they liked yours the most they want to promote you to story supervisor what do you think are you interested oh. I was like what? And I like cried again because I had been so stressed. I was like, no way. Like what? That's wild. And, and that was really nice um, because, you know, towards candidly, um, Tangled was a really mixed bag for me in terms of the experience of working on that show. Um, I haven't mm -hmm. been necessarily quiet about that fact, but especially towards the end of the last season, because I was on that show from start to finish. Um, 
I was really mm-hmm. starting to feel like my story sensibilities were not maybe not good because I was pretty disrespected um, on that show. And like, I, I just oh, had a really, too bad. yeah, some really low self-esteem issues leaving that show. And this kind of felt like I felt built up and like, I could trust myself a little bit more than I had been able to more recently. Um, it kind of, it became one of those shows where you're like, you're just executing, you know? And when I came on to Tangled, yeah. like I left feature, I was so, I was salivating over it, like the way it was pitched. And by the end I was kind of like burnt out and sad and upset. And so it was like a really nice, like rejuvenation of, uh, you know, my appetite for storytelling. And, uh, through that process, honestly, just through some of like the Disney plus figuring out how they wanted their pipelines to work. That was how I got bumped from story soup to director. Um, but yeah, then I, I started getting my education and like managing a team and uh, like what that's like, you know, how to start. You have to communicate with every single department. You have to delegate. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have an awareness of a lot more than just the boards and the scripts like and uh, honestly, that's my favorite part of the job. <laughs> like I mm-hmm. I love to talk. I I love to collaborate with people. Um, I really don't like to create in a vacuum like I I always Mm -hmm. love a room of consensus and I really like having a creative partner to bounce ideas off of like I feel like that's how I enjoy what I do the most and how I kind of thrive um and I mean Monsters especially on the second season that we're working on has really uh you know they do that like in this second season um you know we our writing room consisted of like the EP and um the co-EP and our story editor and a whole team of very diverse writers and me and the other episodic director. And we co-wrote, like collaborated on every single episode in the season. So even the episodes I'm not directing, I'm like a consulting director on. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. It's very cool. It's amazing. It's the best way to do things. I really believe that. And I, and I really hope that, you know, the studio sees what we've done and and encourages other productions to work that way because Mm. just having the global awareness of like especially for something that's serialized right and that kind of you want it to play like it's one big movie um Mm -hmm. it's important because I have an awareness of the story points that you know my fellow director Shane Zalvin um his episodes need to hit and he's got an awareness of mine and I can answer questions about his episodes I'm sure he could answer questions about mine like it's everybody is like very aware of the collective storytelling goals and that was just really it's been my favorite part of of the whole thing you know and I I hope to be in many more rooms like the one that I've experienced on this show it's been my absolute favorite production to work on especially this second season that sounds amazing I can't like it yeah that's the dream right there I'm so glad that like this experience like has it sounds like super rewarding and Mm -hmm. like you'll have that ownership for sure but I guess like you know like just the the best kind of like collaborative sort of experience that like I dream of having, you know, an animation. That sounds awesome. Yeah. A hundred percent. It was like a total dream and it was so great to be, I mean, I, we really struggled. I'll speak just for myself, but I really struggled on Tangled because I felt like if I had an opinion about, you know, the way a character was being written or treated or a story point that didn't seem to make a lot of sense, it's, it was scary to, vocalize that and to bring Mm -hmm. that up and uh, it felt like you know you were threatening someone's intelligence or whatever every time or you were being insubordinate and Mm -hmm. I have not once Mm -hmm. felt that way um 
on this production. It's just like people want to hear from everybody. It, it doesn't matter. Like even outside of that room, it's like whoever you are, like on the crew, if you have an opinion, REP is like, he looks out to the entire theater and says, what did you guys think? And he really genuinely wants to know. And mm -hmm. I value that so much because I think we all know, like it takes a village and animation is not just one person doing anything. And so consensus and collaboration, it's like, that's, we need it, you know, <laughs> like, and I think yeah. it, it only strengthens um, the final quality of the, of the project. So I, I'm super grateful um, for the experience that I've had on, on that. And it's been extremely educational. I mean, I, I have a vernacular now for like 3D animation pipeline stuff that I never in a million years would have thought that I had. <laughs> um, and it, it's awesome. And I'm, I'm so grateful. And I, I've worked with departments that I, I used to know very little about. And now I feel like I do. And I remember um, when I was on Tangled too, I was sort of asked like, okay, well, what do you want to do next? Do you want to direct? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And at the time I felt so overwhelmed by the question because I was like, I'm, I'm just trying to be a good storyboard artist right now. Like I was like 24 <laughs> years old. I was like, I, I don't know. This is my first TV job. Like I'm really scared all the time. I just want to be good. And I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really thinking about like what came next. I was just so focused on that. And I think there was, especially at the time, like a lot of pressure on like young people to keep climbing and to sort of use their right. youth as a climbing point like mm -hmm. you know just keep ascending get your own show get it while you're young because mm -hmm. they really want that they want like a youthful perspective and I didn't feel ready like I genuinely didn't and I started to feel like bad about myself because I didn't feel ready like oh I'm I know I don't have as much stamina as some people um in animation for drawing and I you know, I know this and I have this weakness or whatever. I felt very aware of my weaknesses and like, well, there must be something wrong with me that I don't feel like I'm ready to do this. But I've valued. Yeah. But yeah sorry, go know, ahead. No, no. To be honest, I think that's like really, really mature of you because being in an environment where like, well, first of all, we, we are in a profession that we're like, you know, we all kind of want to be a little bit in the spotlight, right? Mm -hmm. We, we kind of like draw and we're like, oh, I hope somebody like looks at me, looks at my art. Like somebody loves me for the art that I make. So we're already in an environment that's kind of like that. And then, and like you said, there's a lot of pressure on young creators to, to mm -hmm. like pitch and make something. Yep. But it's, it's really great that you had the maturity to, to be like, I'm not ready because I do feel like, I do feel like when you're a, a creator, when you get your own show, like, Looking at the creators who got their own show really, really early, mm -hmm. like in their mid twenties, mm -hmm. I I feel like I don't, I don't know, I don't know if they're happy. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't disagree. Yeah. And sometimes I don't know if the crew was happy. <laughs> like I, I mean, candidly, you know. And I think mm -hmm. like it's so much of of leadership at, at that level of like an EP level. It is, it's about leadership. It's not just about like being a very talented artist or, you know, making sure that your vision is executed a thousand percent the way you want it to be. It's like there is compromise. There is mm -hmm. respect for limitations. There's, there's so much that goes into it. And I, I don't know, like, I, I think that it's, I have been very happy with like, learning bit by bit you know how voice directing works you know with actors in a booth and how to communicate production needs and understand like why production is pushing back on things and what he is on them to do so and not kind of like 
taking it personally as like, a, oh, you don't want to actualize my vision and I should just have access to this money and these things and we need it and whatever. It's like, okay, like, wait, what's the problem and how do we be smart about it? And, you know, not wanting mm -hmm. to overburden partner studios and, and artists, you know, right? Like not putting these unrealistic mm -hmm. burnout expectations on people. Um, kind of just like figuring out like what what's what's worth it, right? Like why? Because to me, it's like mm -hmm. art and making art is something we do uh, at a point of like, our, it's sort of like our highest brow, right? Like, and so mm -hmm. we want to, what, put beauty into the world and like make beautiful things. And so if that process starts to feel ugly and not beautiful, I'm like, why are we doing this? Like, it should not kill us. It should not hurt people. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I don't know, like I, I've at times felt like insecure about like, not wanting to pitch things you know and like being yeah. kind of avoidant mm -hmm. of that because I've been asked and I kind of retreat and I'm like I don't know and only recently am I starting to like dip my toes into it and like have those conversations but it's like I'm mm -hmm. very I'm I'm okay with going slow <laughs> you know what I mean and I uh I've learned a lot and I I think like the best part of directing for me is like allowing other people to do their thing and giving them the space yeah. to do it and the trust in it um and just responding to it like that's kind of what it really is is like you trust people to do what you know that they're good at doing and then you respond to it and also something I really try to do with board artists specifically is like explain why uh there were a lot of times where as a board artist I would you know see my work come back in the animation or in the um story reels and a lot would be different and there'd be a ton of revisions and I'm like wait a minute whoa like how do we get from point a to like z like this right like what happened and uh mm -hmm. not because I have an ego about things changing or whatever but because I didn't understand why the change was made and I just wanted to know you know and um mm -hmm. have that communicated to me and so you know I think especially like monsters because it's 3d uh, what we were sort of asking of our board artists um, was maybe a little different um, than what your standard kind of TV show is. Like we were really kind of – we had some more like feature-ish kind of asks for like how, to, how do we like imbue this scene with more and like really find like the genuine pathos in the scene, the genuine comedy. Like we would take pitches on scenes and like it wasn't just like, okay, execute. You know what I mean? It was like – make mm -hmm. this great we want you to own this and like find the best idea it wasn't necessarily about the drawings or the animation it was more about the ideas and um you know you ask that of artists but then it gets very personal because they really put themselves on the page and they advocate yeah. for those things and so to me I knew it was going to be really important to explain when those things changed like why they were changing and mm -hmm. sometimes there's not a good answer sometimes it's just like it was unproducible <laughs> like we had, yeah, yeah. We had well, to you know and it's still that's an a good explanation exactly. you know? like and I feel yeah. like they would probably appreciate that honesty and it's better yep. than just being told J just because and like you know not mm -hmm. to yeah. name name I've been in this situation where like I I like having an explanation because I put a lot of you know because yeah. I, I you know, I, I don't like arbitrary choices. Like, you know, if, mm -hmm. if it's either parallel or, in my mind, it bogs it down or makes it worse. I'm, like, not understanding where the priorities are. And when right. I'm just told just because, it's like, well, I I, I, I don't, all right. I Because I, I'm trying to make the best show. Right. And if, like, I don't know, you're not getting a reasonable explanation, then I'm just left to, my trust 
is a little shot or whatever uh-huh. because I don't think it necessarily helps well, unless you, I understand. You care. Yeah. You care about what you're yeah. producing. It takes a lot of physical, mental, emotional effort for board artists to produce work, and we do it at such a high volume, and I think it can yeah. get taken for granted um, in the midst of mm-hmm. the chaos of production, right? And yeah. so to me, even if it, the answer wasn't a, a good one, you know, I, I would at least try to supply it um, because I never wanted an artist to feel undervalued or like their perspective on a scene wasn't valid or you know couldn't work in a different situation because it it could absolutely you know but it's like well we realized that this story arc needed to move forward and so this moment kind of undercut that like it's like literally just taking the time to like explain I think makes such a difference and also just helps like the dedication of the artist to your what you're all doing like it makes them feel a part of it and it like also kind of crystallizes the collective vision for everybody, yeah. you know? So. And if you can, like, acknowledge their hard work and even, yep. like, I guess if it were me, then have an opportunity to even, like, mourn with them and be like, I know it's one of those things where, like, if this factor or this factor... And, and I, yep. uh, you know, like, yeah, that just just to kind of, like... I don't know. Tell tell little Timmy why the why, why the do, why, why the dog had why the dog had to go away. Why <laughs> why? Well, Timmy, yeah, we had to put your dog down because yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. that's that's really what it can feel like, and I think it's important to remember that. And um, yeah. you know, that's the leadership you know on our show has reflected that thinking to me times over. Like I feel like they the leadership on the show is very aware of how much work goes into doing all of these things and they're always very eager to acknowledge everybody um for their efforts and sometimes i think you know you're on a show with leadership that forgets that that's important because you know one reason or another whether they're under their own stress that we couldn't possibly know or you know they're it's it could be anything but it, it's important and i think that that's what makes a like a leader versus a boss. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I saw this illustration that stuck with me like forever ago of like the difference between those two things. Um, and it was like the boss was sitting on like a chariot that was being pulled by a bunch of people and he was pointing like ahead, mm-hmm. you know, like, okay, keep going, keep pulling me. And the leader was at the front of this cargo load and he was pointing to the direction ahead, but he was pulling the weight of this cargo load with his team and it's so sweet yeah and i never forgot it because like to me it's just like that and i feel like i've i've experienced both kinds of leadership and i can tell you easily which one is the more rewarding of the two you know um as as the little guy or whatever so um you know not that i'm i'm sure i'm not perfect all the time but i really tried to remember those things when i became a leader because it it was hard I mean it happened to me still when I was like 27 I just still in my opinion fairly young to be like directing like I I don't know maybe I'm crazy Mm -hmm. for thinking that but like I I had good honestly you got like that's you should that's a pretty commendable (laughs) I I would say you know I just felt like but I felt very aware like I feel very aware of what I don't know you know and like Mm -hmm. I because I feel insecure about what I don't know but not in the sense of like oh, and now I have to fake like I know it in the sense of like, I need to ask questions. Like I need to make people aware that I don't know something and help like get help on like how to answer these questions. And so, you know, I have confidence in the things that I do know, which I think are like story and character and, um, you know, a visual, you know, sense of how those things communicate on the screen. But like, I 
there were plenty of things, especially in a 3D pipeline, that I was very ignorant to. I mean, just like the sort of direction of photography process of 3D animation, it's like mm. boards don't translate directly to 3D. Yes. You know, there's mm-hmm. the whole like layout yep. process that happens mm-hmm. and the that cinematography pass that has to happen. And so yep. ideas that work in boards don't always work when you translate them to 3D. <laughs> and then you kind of have to reconceive of it. And that can be challenging because like, Sometimes it's really funny in the board, but then oh, in yeah. practice yeah. it it doesn't <laughs> land because like the rig can't do that thing or we don't have that mm. prop and it'll cost a billion dollars to make it, you know, whatever the reason. Um, so there were just so many interesting lessons to learn all the way along the way. And I never found anybody like stuck in their own ego, unwilling to help. It was just always, it's always been a room full of problem solvers. Like, just like some of the best personalities I've ever worked with in animation. And I will like cherish the lessons of that forever. You know, that sounds like an awesome show. It's been the best. (laughs) That's ideal right there. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, I'm worried it's rare. Like I, you know what I mean? Like that's the kind of, (laughs) but you know, I'm encouraged by like, I, and there's a lot of like, my friends are, you know, ascending to leadership and I know the kind of leader I want to be. And I, Mm -hmm. I think like change, positive changes on the horizon. You know what I mean? Like, I think we, even just stuff like this, you know, that y'all put together to like have these conversations and talk to other creatives. It's like we we do have this collective interest in one another yeah. and this respect for one another and our different perspectives. And, you know, at the studio, we just actually um they started doing these like round tables um where i got to sit with like a bunch of directors from other productions at the studio and we all just kind of like it was like a therapy session <laughs> like we, uh-huh. we all just like we were with our mentees and stuff i was like a guest speaker for the mentor mentor like the mentorship program that they have and um mm. but they there were directors who you know had board artists that were their mentees and stuff and they're looking to become directors and um we all just kind of talked about our processes and like the struggles and everything and it was so nice like it was so nice to just like like hear how like the people on big city greens do it and like what their day-to-day struggles and experiences are like. And sometimes there's crossover and sometimes things are just like, so kind of in the weeds different, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's like we, there was, it was so nice to feel like there was interest right in um, the different ways that we have of working and um, the different like perspectives that come from like different age experience, background, um, all of that stuff. I just see the, the support and like appetite for all of that growing like constantly and it's it's great you know yeah yeah i love i think that's yeah that's really great to hear i do feel like i do feel like having these like little workshops like you said and talking about leadership and the philosophy behind leadership is really great because it 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 is something that's not talked about a ton online Mm -hmm. because you can't really have a ton of pictures to illustrate it it's not like a storyboard or like a character design like leadership is just like so ethereal it's just like not concrete you yeah can't have a cool little video to illustrate it in a tweet mm-hmm. so i i i'm i'm really excited when we get to talk about that on the podcast yeah um, for sure and to be so mindful about it because yeah I, I i always like you know like i dream of like making a show and i i will say like you know more and more now like having been through you know this production that like being mindful and aware of like how to make the engine run in a way that isn't harmful and mm-hmm. like it, it is it, it, like that 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 
almost seems more important than the initial I like you know getting an idea that they like that gets green it's just sort of luck that doesn't really make you mm -hmm. special what really makes you special is like I guess how you how drive you the car yeah once you win the car and like the yeah. you know, lottery or whatever yeah a hundred percent like I you know great art will outlive us all but in the meantime we all have to live here and yeah. I, I just wonder sometimes, like, is it really worth a lot of the the pain and stuff? You know, like I, I hear a lot of people talk about burnout and, you know, toxicity on productions. And I think the, the volume at which I hear these things upsets me because it's like at the end of the day, we're making like, I don't want to belittle it to the point of we're making cartoons, but like we're making art, like I said, you know, and it's supposed to be yeah. beautiful and put beauty into the world. And so if there's all this like, negativity happening behind the scenes I just am like well I guess maybe that'll be worth it to people that have no knowledge of all of this but in the meantime there are all these battered people leaving you know who are like maybe yeah, yeah, worse yeah. for wear and I I just like I've seen a lot of change um an acknowledgement of that more recently um mm -hmm. in a way that encourages me but yeah I think it's it's something to be honest about it's why I haven't been totally silent about it because I'm like it, it's mm -hmm. difficult to talk about and I think like people are always like there's kind of always that like oh I don't want to get like blacklisted kind of fear or whatever but I'm kind of like well I also definitely don't ever want to like feel abused by a production again either no, yeah. <laughs> you know uh, what I thank mean thank goodness so... <laughs> you will it'll make a for a better more sustainable world for us all and yeah. like it's so needed and even I have been like trying to unlearn mm -hmm. toxic work habits because I was almost like seduced by this mm. like ill-conceived notion about like oh it's about suffering and that's nothing good right you know yeah and like so you suffer I, for your art kind of a thing and yeah and now it's like it does it really does need to be that because you'll look at something sure that's great but was a horrible experience and then something that's great and guess what everyone loved working on it. it's like mm -hmm. why not why it literally like doesn't have to be painful if there's just a little bit of mindfulness that goes in 100 percent. So yeah there's that you're doing that it's gonna i, I want to live in that in that world, right? Yeah. Well, and I'll I think, be on your show. <laughs> yeah, and I think like the more that we can talk about these things, like for people like me who are maybe like a little safer, because it's hard. I mean, like when I was a storyboard artist on a, a show that I didn't feel, you know, happy or safe or heard on, it was I was going through a lot at that period in my life. My dad was dying of cancer, and my family needed financial support. My two siblings were mm -hmm. living with me in my apartment. It was like that fear of this is my first industry job and I want to really build up wow. my name at this studio. And I, it was, I was working for Disney. That was my dream, you know? And like, I, mm. I didn't want to leave because of all those things. And also because I, I did care about the characters and the stories. Like I had an emotional attachment and I, I felt like that was maybe sometimes weaponized, <laughs> um, you know, but mm. I, I was afraid and I didn't feel safe to advocate for myself in maybe the ways that I wanted to or should have um, until it was much later in both my career and in the advancement of the show. And so now that I feel like I'm in a position where not only do I feel a little safer and like I've got a little more weight to throw around, but like I have more experience in how it can be very positive. Like I think it's extremely important to vocalize those experiences and be very honest about them because there are people who can't. And I think, yeah, it's like it's never pleasant to talk about. And you always have the worry like, oh, I wonder if this person will hear this and, you know, get pissed off or whatever. But it's like it happened. And even if it didn't yeah. happen that way for them, it was my experience and I carry it with me as a lesson. And um, 
I just think we need to all try to like put good out into the industry when we have the ability to do so. And, you know, we're up, we're up against the law already. So hurting each other doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? And I think understanding compromise, um, in mm. artistic vision is really important because again, when you get a show or when you're making a movie, you're, you're on a team now it's you're, you're getting the benefits of using other people's skills and brains and you need to treat that with respect because right. you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, this is happening, but it's not happening for you. It's happening for everybody. And yeah, you're at the helm, but like that's so much responsibility. And I really think it needs to be understood, you know, how much responsibility that is. Yeah. yeah. That's beautifully said. I um I also was going to ask you about if if you if you're comfortable talking uh -huh. about it. How would you say was your emotional recovery process from a show that was very difficult to a show that you felt comfortable on? Like yeah. did you was it did you go to therapy? Oh, like yeah. what were oh, yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that show put me in therapy for sure. Um yeah, and you know, you know what's really fucking sad and I'll share this because this is again, I think something worth being very candid about. My therapist mm. literally said to me, "Do you realize that you cry, talk, vent more about your job on this show than you do about the passing of your father?" Like, and I, wow. I literally didn't until she said that to me. And then I was like, oh my God, like wow. what mm -hmm. the fuck? You know, like I, it's, we have this, everyone kind of says this saying on our, on the show that I'm on now on Monsters where they're like, you know, we're not curing cancer. Like when things get too tense and when it's like, we're all mm -hmm. really like, you know, kind of embattled with like whatever the problem is. Um, and we maybe lose sight of like what we're what we're literally getting paid to do. Um, it's like, you yeah. know, we're not, at the end of the day, we're not curing cancer. So like if something needs to be a compromise or if feeling real feelings are starting to get hurt or whatever, it's getting too anxiety inducing, take a step back, look at what's important. I think, you know, also the, A, that me going through that experience really made mm. it clear kind of like what actually matters to me. And then I think the pandemic and, um, you know, all the social stuff that's going on right now is furthering that understanding for me. Um, and I think for many of us of like, you know, we get like one life and uh, right. we have people that we all care about and, you know, virtues that we want to hold true to. And those things really matter. And I think that, you know, in capitalist society and, you know, also <laughs> just within like the the art community, the entertainment industry and the animation community, um, we and as artists, we tie a lot of our, our self-worth and our purpose to what we create. Um, yes. And sometimes it's good to care a little less <laughs> about that yeah. stuff and kind of, you know, as the kids say, touch grass, like in, in, a, in, a, <laughs> in an emotional sense. Right. And honestly, yeah. like when I decided like I, you know, I don't feel ready to pitch right now. Um, and, you know, I, I felt like untangled. I really didn't have, in my opinion, a healthy boundary between work mm -hmm. and my life um like I was very wrapped up in the like I was I think too connected to the fandom of the show I was doing mm. kind of like my own like little promos for the show with like posters or art fan art you know I was generating so much fan art for the show that I was working on and mm. I I just really was overly emotionally attached to what I was working on 
in a way that I thought was really good. You know, I thought it was great that I cared so much and that it was broadcasting how much I, I cared about my job and everything. But it was like a boundary issue. Like I, I was not doing enough for myself, not enough art and not enough personal restriction from my job in my own life. And nowadays it's like, you know, I love monsters at work, but I'm not like drawing crazy amounts of fan art. I'm not, you know, staying until 11 or 2 a.m. to work on things for the show. I'm just not going to do it because it's it's not healthy, in my opinion. And I am um, mm-hmm. kind of when I was like, you know, if I don't feel ready to pitch, I'm not going to force it. Like I I started leaning more into like creating off you know, the clock in, like, like with my friends, I do D&D now. Like, I, I du- I'm i a dungeon master for a couple <laughs> campaigns. My fiancé wow. is also a dungeon master. So if I'm not DMing, I'm playing. Like, and I love it because, honestly, like, a lot of my friends are artists who play with us. And it's essentially, like, we're creating our own little Marvel universe of, yes. like, you know, all these stories and um, getting to play with genres that I know maybe, like, you know, studios wouldn't accept a pitch on or you know, worlds mm. that like, I, it's just nice to create things that you're not having to run past people to validate. And yeah, I it's been so creatively fulfilling to have passions outside of my job. Um, and, you know, I think through that, I've become a better storyteller as well, because, you know, I'm building all these worlds and these characters, and I'm, I'm getting back in touch with my voice as a creator in a way that you don't, you don't lose it when you're doing things for money or for other people. But like, you know, you have to, again collaborate and compromise and um you don't get to be in charge of every choice but in something like this I do get to be a little more in the driver's seat and not have to run Mm -hmm. things by people and so that just helps me you know cultivate my my taste and like my you know style and everything as a storyteller and an artist and um it's just been rewarding to like give love back to myself that way um so that that was its own sort of therapy, I think, in a way. Um, and then, yeah, there was literal therapy <laughs> as well. Um, but, you know, I think also I have decided, and maybe this is because of the privilege of the power of being in a leadership position, um, but I, I think it's a little bit from what my experience was um, on, you know, Tangled, was I don't think I'm ever going to be able to be the kind of person who doesn't vocalize my feelings and my thoughts on things anymore um Mm -hmm. I don't want to go back to being afraid to do that and if I feel like I'm in a situation where it is I think I would really examine how good it is for me to remain in that situation in a way that I didn't feel safe to do before you know what I mean um right yeah 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 I'm a lot more I was always opinionated but I'm a lot less afraid to share those opinions than I was um back in the day and I'm I'm glad of that because I feel like I've found respectful ways to assert myself um and not silence the things that I'm thinking or feeling whether that's on like a personal level or a creative level um and I when think, you talk about yeah. mm-hmm. um finding respectful ways to assert yourself I think that's like beautifully said is it it did you study that skill? Was it something that you learned from somebody? Was it something that you read books about? Like, how did you kind of try to learn to be respectfully assertive? Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's like, it kind of depends on like, is it like a personal issue? Or is it like, you're just having a difference of creative opinion in a story room? Um, you know, if it's a personal issue, I think always an awareness that people are, there are so many unseen battles that people have in their lives. Like 
People mm-hmm. are going through things that you could never possibly fathom outside of work. And it's good to always remember that like work is just a small fraction of people's lives. So, mm-hmm. you know, never tolerating disrespect, but also like acknowledging that that's a truth, right? And mm-hmm. just being forthcoming about it and like mentioning it to the person, like if they, if you feel like a line's been crossed or something, like, I think it's always good to bring it up. And obviously, if you don't feel safe, you can talk to your leadership or whatever. But like, um, so there's that. But then even just like in rooms where it's like, you know, maybe you're not vibing with an idea. It's like hearing people out and hearing the intention is important. It's just kind of like general empathy uh, stuff. Mm. Um, But it can be hard because I think we're all very in our own heads. And um, I think like. I try to both in like a like relationship way, but also in like a creative way, like what's the note behind the note? Like there's that expression, right? Like what what are it's it often comes up in like executive reviews where it's like, okay, they might have given a note that we as a group don't agree with. But like what what is it that they're lacking from what we're putting in front of them and how can we implement it in a way that maybe is more agreeable to us, the people that are like more directly involved in it and don't want to compromise on like our global vision, right? Um, so it's yeah. like if they say like I really don't like this scene with these characters get rid of it we're like well maybe that's not the issue of maybe it's not like we get rid of it but we we want to change it because it's not effective right that's the note behind the mm-hmm. note so mm-hmm. uh, something a little less damaging to the production maybe a little more sustainable um, and I try to mm-hmm. do that with people where they're you know maybe somebody like has a tone that is like ooh, like that felt mean you know it's like well what are what's their emotion like what are they feeling right now like that would maybe be stressing them out like it's it's often like mm. it's an issue sometimes between creative and and production right because production kind of has to be the mean mom the mean parent sometimes <laughs> and like come in and say like no you know you're not allowed to do that you got to eat your broccoli before you have your cake kind of a thing and it's it's like mm. i'm sure they don't revel in that you know like it's it's not fun for people to say no you can't do that um so it's never like a personal thing it's just they're doing their job they're trying to be responsible for the studio for the production for for us really um so that we can you know have cake across many nights and not just the <laughs> one time um yeah. and so it's you know it's trying to hear people and understand what's lacking and not have an ego about it needing to be done or said in exactly the way you need it to be it's like what you mentioned earlier about like you have an expectation of how people should say something do something whatever but in reality we're all different people and we're all coming together to do something Mm. deeply personal really which is make art and so just trying to be aware of how vulnerable that is for everybody whether they're seemingly a vulnerable person or not it is you know and Mm -hmm. um I again I've had it exemplified to me through leadership um you know Steve Anderson who was my uh supervising director on season one was a very empathetic kind gentle giant um who had you know he's got teaching experience and was very good at like hearing people out and, and internalizing and kind of sitting with a thought and a feeling before reacting or responding uh mm. Kevin Dieters who's our uh our EP on this second season very similar um just kind of like taking the note and sitting with it and trying to find the feeling behind it and I think you could apply that both to creative and just your day-to-day experiences with people a little bit mm-hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense that's so great <laughs> I I love all so much wisdom y'all like <laughs> yeah I'm like, great. Oh, like a- <laughs> yeah like gosh dang it um I, I think this is a great time for us to go into some um, 
questions um we have some really fun questions from instagram y'all cool. you can <laughs> ask questions on instagram now yeah. um uh from artistic dot puns what has been your favorite thing to work on a specific set of boards an episode the whole project whichever comes to mind first yeah um i'd say in terms of like project definitely monsters at work um especially this second season but you know i I really, this sounds like, like, butt kissing, kind of, <laughs> but, like, I, I am sincere when I say, like, no matter what I was working on, whether it was something, like, really, you know, Disney Junior, like, or, you know, sort of of a younger demographic that maybe is not the thing I would personally gravitate towards, or if it was, like, something about, like, sports that I don't play, you know, it's, like, I, mm -hmm. I find the thing to love in everything that I work on, and I see that as, like, kind of the reason for being with doing what we do it's like I look for the gold in every story and the human aspect of every story um and I get excited about it like it's almost especially if it's something that I don't really understand because then I have to find an entry point for someone like me which just kind of broadens the scope of who it can appeal to I think sometimes like yeah. um so I have genuinely I have enjoyed something about everything that I've worked on because I that's kind of how I try to approach these things. Um, and, you know, working with Sergio Pablos on Smallfoot was incredible. He was drafting his like version of a, uh, a like a pitch Bible for Klaus at the time. And he shared <laughs> that with me before, uh, you know, anything had really they had started on it like preliminarily, I think. But it was incredible. And I, I cried like four times reading that Bible. Huh. Um, yeah. So it, that was, yeah, an amazing experience that I got to have working with him on Smallfoot um, and then Tangled. I, I was so lucky. We got to, I got to board like five Alan Menken songs on that show, which is like a career highlight. Like I'm like, it, I, I mean, even like, you know, at feature it's like, I, I it's sometimes, you know, maybe one person will take the reins of a song like that, but it's also usually like kind of an amalgamation of talent sometimes. Mm. Um, and I just like got to be so individually responsible for all of it, like for better or worse. Cause again, it's like, it's TV, it's not feature. We have limitations and all that, but like just the fact that I got to do that in my career, even one time is like something that I, I could die happy with that. You know, like mm. I, it was such a amazing thing to be able to have that, as part of my work experience um just like you know the the guy who wrote all the songs that I grew up on as a child and to have any connection to that was insane um mm -hmm. and you know then monsters I would say for the for the culture of it is it's just been like the most collaborative you know like I said especially this second season um creative experience and so many laughs and just really talented helpful people um I, I love boarding. Like if I'm boarding, I love boarding songs the most. Like that's, I just love it. <laughs> it's so fun oh, for me. Nice. Um, yeah. That's probably my favorite thing to board. But I do also really love, um, you know, like anything pathos, like anything that where you're really mm. getting into a character's head. And I had, um, it actually, my favorite thing I ever boarded on Tangled got cut. Uh, which was a bummer because it just changed Aww. in the story and I, I don't really know why, but it did. And it was like a nightmare sequence um, of my favorite character, like having this awful nightmare where like he couldn't save his father who like for a, at least a period in the show, spoiler alert, uh, he's not dead, but he's like 
crystallized and like you know effectively dead to this this child and uh I boarded that sequence that was actually the first thing that I boarded after my bereavement when my dad passed away Um, oh my god which like it sounds bad but like I actually asked for it because it was Mm -hmm. kind of like I was in that headspace of what it's like to lose a parent and Mm -hmm. to feel helpless and I just felt like it could be cathartic for me and like I you know had something to bring to it and I, I really enjoyed boarding it for that reason. Um, and then it got cut, and I was like, damn, that sucks. <laughs> but, wow. Uh, yeah, so Are you I, able I, to share that? It's oh, all yeah. I, like, is it online somewhere? It's on my TikTok, I think. Uh, I, I think I threw a, a, an old uh, Billie Eilish song over that. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like very early era TikTok for me when I'm like, I am old, and I don't know how the hell TikTok <laughs> works and what you're supposed to do. So I kind of just made it like a weird music video. Um, so it's at least there. I can't remember if I posted it on Tumblr or not, and I don't think it's on YouTube, and God knows where that file is at this point. Um, so it's at least on my TikTok if you want to see it. Um, but yeah, it was like a nightmare sequence of him, like, not being able to save his dad, and then he also got, you know, consumed by this, like, icker stuff that was, you know, killing his dad, and um, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was cool visually to do. Um, mm. but any, any song I ever got to do, I had a blast doing, even if like, sometimes the crunch on those things was insane. Cause we, cause it's, you know, it's Alan Macon and he's a, 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 a pretty prolific, busy guy. And so sometimes we just wouldn't get the content until like, it's basically due. Um, and then you only have like a week or so to kind of board like a two minute song sometimes. And it was challenging and obviously you want it to be really good cause it's Alan Macon and like you care. Right. And, uh, but I, it was still fun no matter what, like I, I would stay up late to do that stuff just cause I loved it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and that was just always worth it to me. So definitely those kinds of things. Um, yeah, song to me, I forget who it was that said like song is, you know, the point in storytelling where a character, you know, it, it's where they go. I, it might have been Glenkeen even who said it like when the feeling is too big for like anything else. Right. Then they they sing or, you know, experience emotion through song. And so it makes sense to me that like that's why I love that so much because I love that emotional shit. Yeah, I'm a cancer. Yeah. I'm a cancer, by the way, if anyone is yeah. curious. <laughs> hell yeah Yeah. i love it um all that water energy oh yeah oh yeah i cry about literally everything like i it's like embarrassing it's funny because like it's so natural for me to cry sometimes that i forget it sometimes like makes people uncomfortable and i'll just be like sharing something and then i'll just kind of cry and then i'll be like okay well anyway bye and they're like are you good (laughs) yeah yeah it's pretty normal for me (laughs) Um, we have a, an interesting question from at pencils, pencil shavings, 13 Ooh, on Instagram. Okay. Um, I think you kind of covered the, how did you break into the industry part, but I like the, any advice for an upcoming senior who's about to start an animated thesis? Yeah. Oh, an animated thesis specifically. Yeah. I would say, I mean, the best advice I've ever heard about like developing a portfolio or making a film or anything is don't create or produce something that you don't want to get paid to continue to produce (laughs) Um, because yeah you want to do something that reflects you and your sensibilities and the kind of projects that you want to attract and work on Um, if you you know make something that maybe is impressive on some merit other than you know potentially 
your interests like you might get employed to keep doing that thing and then you might be miserable um so I think it's just important to like hold true to you know um your taste and the things that you enjoy about art and um you know the process the content all of that um and try to try to execute based on on that because that'll also give like recruiters and you know, whoever a pretty good insight into the kind of person you are and like your perspective on the world. And um, that's really what storytelling is all about is offering your vantage point on something, your your comedy, your flavor. Um, that's how you are valuable to a production um, is, you know, offering your unique set of eyes and your experience to something. Um, so I would say that's probably the most important thing to do. Good advice. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Get the most out of the experience. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, your calling card or whatever. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, like just find that stuff that you you want to see more of, and like put it out there. Especially when you're able to as a student, because like you know, mm-hmm. we we get paid to make things, and uh, often we uh don't get to decide what those things are (laughs) so i I would say just you know put out stuff that represents you and the kind of stories that you want to see more of and and help tell um don't run from that because yeah now's your your time to do that very true i think um that kind of answers also manly bunny artist Mm -hmm. who asks what advice you have for putting together an animation portfolio in particular what kind of things do people industry in the industry look for? I feel like kind of what you were saying was like your personal point of view and mm-hmm. what you're excited about. And I think I, I very much agree. I feel like, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I've always gotten hired on cool projects through my personal art rather than through my professional art. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I do. I had somebody <laughs> talk to me about my, uh, my what is it, Richie and Eddie fan animatic from when I was like super hyper fixated on the It 2 movie. <laughs> like, like literally like just a thing that happened to me pre-pandemic. Um, sometimes it, it hasn't happened in a long time. And I honestly, I think it's because I started getting into D&D that like now I'm really fixated on like my own stuff, which is kind of nice because, you know, it, it can't, you can only let yourself down in that situation. Uh, yeah. You don't have to worry about an actor coming out and saying some really awful stuff and then feeling really bad that you ever assigned a face claim to a fictional character. You know what I mean? Uh, just, just saying <laughs> so maybe it's a good thing. So like, yeah, but I did have somebody talk to me about that and I was like, oh my God, like I forgot that like people see what I post sometimes. <laughs> uh... <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think the, per- but, but I think like the sensibilities of that animatic in terms of like the horror and the romance and whatever, um forgetting that it's like a fan animation or whatever like came through and I got complimented on it and it's kind of like that thing I said about that nightmare before Christmas fan fiction and how like real people (laughs) have come up in my life and um recognized me for my contribution to the nightmare before Christmas fan fiction back on the (laughs) DeviantArt days of old and I'm like that's terrifying but I guess something memorable was said in my fan fiction that stuck with someone so there was some some part of me stayed in that story and it resonated with someone so yeah you know that's so funny it's relevant art you know i mean yeah 
<laughs> I, I, I don't know. I do agree. I just think it's cool. Like when people are like, wow, that like impacted me enough that I remember it. And I remember you. I don't know. Yeah. That's cool. It's like, I think it's only embarrassing because of like the age I was when I made it. And it's like, oh my God, <laughs> like, I don't even remember like what all was said and written but like the fact that you remember me from it is kind of terrifying <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's definitely nice um it's it's wild to me cuz i actually like met like a lot of like friends from that time in my life and people that were just like very influential to me for like a long time through that fandom but it's you know that's still being honest about like the things that you like and I mean I know like there can it can be polarizing with like fandoms and stuff these days online and all that mm. um but it well it was nice at least for me when I was growing up to be able to find community with people that you know those things resonated with them you know in similar ways and and all that stuff and um it's funny I actually I've been celebrating this I think it's is it 11 years of friendship with somebody um, recently uh, who she's she's like my best friend um, and we met at SCAD in the animation hall um, like yeah I, about 11 years ago and she's somebody who I followed on DeviantArt first like so I didn't even know that she went to my school and then I saw her and I like put it together she was in one of my classes and I was like <gasps> like it's that artist that I follow on DeviantArt. And I was like shocked. I was like starstruck because I loved her work so much. And then we were like sitting there talking and I was like, oh my God. And now we've been friends for like 11 years. <laughs> I'm like, we have like the same taste in everything. Like it's it's that very like, I was, you know, like Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, Invader Zim, Nightmare Before Christmas was my yes. bread and butter. I am a hot topic child energy, right? Yes. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, just finding community with people who who see you for who you are <laughs> is nice or see see your whole ass is what we say right <laughs> and and love that ass <laughs> that's so funny it's so true yeah you gotta Do be you self-indulgent sometimes i think like i think so i think it's underrated i agree self-indulgent in art like i feel like especially in our industry sometimes yeah. it can be easy to get caught up and like oh i should put out more, more content more original whatever like it's or like this studio style this other people's yeah. style like i have to fit within these parameters or outside of my parameters and i i feel like sometimes it's okay if you want to draw your your deviant art ocs i agree it's <laughs> i 100 percent agree i mean like i said you know what got me into animation was my love of content that i watched so it's not like shocking to me that sometimes i want to draw art that commemorates you know the things that i see that visually interest me and you know i think we're collectively as a society hopefully and i i feel like i see it getting away from like ugh, cringe culture you know and like i'm like cool because like let people enjoy things there's enough horrible shit happening in the world like why are you making it your business to judge people but like to the 11th degree that's how i feel like whenever i'm like i i actually i did have like a worry for a minute when i started drawing like a ton of indulgent D stuff that like mm -hmm. a lot of the people who followed me on like instagram and tumblr and stuff they were following because of tangled you know like they and the fact that I continued to feed them, you know, kind of outside of working hours, outside of the show, more fan art and stuff, um, I think was a, an appeal and a draw to people uh, was they knew that they could continue to get like content uh, that was not canon, but like from a credible source, I guess. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And I've definitely seen, like, those people drop out, you know, a bit from, like... Interesting. But new people have come in. And I feel like those people that have come in are more about the stuff I really care about, you know? And, like, Mm -hmm. more about, like, my taste and everything and so like that that appeals to me too because it's like you know eventually I was going to move on from Tangled and work on something else and I I like getting to uh speak with people who understand now more like my the tropes that I'm attracted to and the types of characters Mm -hmm. that I make and like my humor and stuff um and so yeah like I felt weird about being indulgent about D&D stuff for a minute because I had that impulse of like oh but like it's not relatable to other people but then I was like I don't really care like I, <laughs> I just I like to draw me and my friends OCs it makes me extremely happy and even though there's not a lot of context for it like I think people find things to appreciate they get things from little nuggets of stuff that I share and now um because this is a hobby I've been indulging for a minute I'm actually trying we'll see if I stay on track for it but um, I'm going to try to release my first like ever homebrew one shot, uh, and, and publish it like online. I think this Halloween, it was like a Halloween one shot that I ran for, uh, it was like me and a few friends here, but then also two of uh, my friends from Chile, uh, who were visiting for Lightbox, And so like, um, yes. we, we actually met on Instagram, um, because our, our D and D characters look like identical like they're like the same like cute pink little tiefling and uh we saw each other's work and we were just like it was like the spider-man meme right and uh (laughs) we started talking and we had like so much in common and you know they're you know the nicest person ever and so i was like wouldn't it be cool if like our characters could like meet somehow like i feel like they'd love each other and um i I was like i'm gonna figure it out i'm gonna make it happen you guys are coming out for lightbox i'm gonna run this game and we'll find a way for them to meet and I did, and so I from that I wrote my first like authentically homebrewed thing, um, and now I'm in the process of like reskinning it so that anybody could kind of take what was the core of it and drop it into their campaign. Um, I'm gonna play test it this summer with some more friends to make sure that that functionality is working. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. It's just like, and that's just something like I, I don't know, like prior to the pandemic, I wouldn't have seen myself pursuing. Um, you know, it's because it's not pitching and it's not generating content that like maybe is associated with at the time my brand or whatever but i've like i've gotten really into uh tabletop role uh, role play stuff and like storytelling that way and so i'm like cool like now i'm gonna like try a little bit of self-publishing and like see how that goes and if that's a thing that i really enjoy doing and um sharing my storytelling with people in a way again that's like i don't need any approvals from like a company or anything to do it like it, there it is like it's just out there and you know people can get a, a sense of me and it and that's just cool so that'll yeah. be it's intimidating still because you're like offering your work up for some level of scrutiny but yeah i'm excited about it i think it'll be fun <clears throat> so like yeah, yeah it's it's tough when you know you're suffering a lot from like i mean like there's literally a thing that would happen on on unnamed project where we were directed not to give a character a certain facial expression because it was too negative for that character to display that emotion and i'm like but what if that's the emotion they're feeling like it became like an appeal thing instead of like an emotional honesty thing 
And I'm like, what the hell, dude? Like, that's just, like, such a weird parameter to put on a character. And it's, like, immediately going to make them not relatable, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Finding the honesty and all of that stuff is important. That's really too. funny. I do agree. Like, it's I've also been on shows where, like, they've we've been asked. Um, it's a show in France, so I don't think it really matters that mm-hmm. I see what it is. But <laughs> they were, like, they were, like, oh, you can't have the characters frown because it makes them look angry. Yeah. <clears throat> but then it's you're like, like come on like, like for real like yeah can't can they be a little angry can they have can they be frustrated can they be like just either, a anyway. little bit of anger as a tree <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly yeah um yeah i love i love all that that's so cool i love that you were able to also talk storytelling through um running that like specific uh, tabletop game because i think that also gives a lot of insight on like storytelling vulnerabilities kind of point of view and all that yeah 100 percent. it's like yeah it's so fun and i it's intimidating because like one of those games i ran and it was like oh my god how many people were involved it was like i think 11 people at my table <laughs> like it was oh, crazy wow. like it was but it was so cool because like everybody kind of had these like relationships with each other it was like a neighborhood setting it was very pleasantville kind of like uh Mm -hmm. fallout vibes for the world that i was trying to build and so it was a neighborhood full of people like this whole community and so there were like family members there were people who had just moved there there were people that had like grown up there um and yeah it was just cool seeing that like world come alive through like this collective effort from everybody um yeah it's just awesome like collaborate with your peers because they're smart and cool I mean like I was so inspired like by you Carl like when I saw your student film like immediately and honestly it's funny when you mentioned Blue Sky I was like that's right because I remember seeing your boards on like the server at Blue Sky and I was like oh it's it's that guy (laughs) like yeah the the rabbit thing do you remember that Mm -hmm. yeah the rabbit wasn't that what it was like there was like some prompt that they had us do about like a rabbit on a farm um, oh my god! I, I, you know, it's funny. I was an intern, like oh, so. I had you like know, different. I'm confusing. It was Moss Lawton. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Who they did also it. were there. Yep. Yeah. Yep, so yeah. I think I did see some of your art there because I definitely knew that you went to Blue Sky, and I think it was because I found some of your stuff on the server. But then I also saw, but forgot Moss also did it, and they were. I was like, oh, they literally did like the same story assignment. It's crazy, but yeah. Well, was it like oak tree yeah, or the whatever? Oak tree like, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there was like a <laughs> rabbit and like a whole bit. Yeah, I yep. remember all the trainees were in their little area, and I was in my cube. Yep. And I just doing my little summer campus assignments like that that were sort of like you know some of them were more interesting than like i I, and i think we like i boarded a scene for epic and i boarded a scene for rio too Uh um and just as part of like here you go champ why don't you why don't you take a crack not that it would ever go into the movie but it's like okay you know yeah for sure i don't think i I never even pitched my rio too thing because it was like really like it was like blue like lighting up I should campsite on fire. I wish I, I, I still <laughs> had like the Rio two stuff that I did. It was humiliating. <laughs> like, no. I mean, it was, it's just like because we did a little bit of stuff for Peanuts and Rio two. Um, the Peanuts stuff, I I actually it was fun and I didn't feel like it was horrible. But my Rio two stuff, I was like, oh god, this is just embarrassing. <laughs> 
Um, but I actually, I think it was Seth Boyden was the intern um, when we were there. Mm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Seth, uh, Seth's work at all, but yeah. he's incredibly talented. Um, and his stuff cracked me up so much. Like, he was so, like, I was really envious of the intern assignments. <laughs> like, I felt like they were so fun. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure, you know, your stuff was great. And, I yeah, I saw your student film and was totally enamored with it thought it was brilliant thanks Um, thanks yeah and i mean like becky too i love i i showed becky to Haley for the first time this past year (laughs) and was like this is literally my favorite thing in the world oh thank you so much yeah yeah that was that was a a fun well you know like a we've talked about that in the other creative blog like how uh, that was Mm -hmm. an interesting journey i remember just talking about sort of since we're on the topic our history i remember um being becoming aware of you knowing that you were like coming out from like you went through the trainee program but then you were moving to california do you remember there was a weird period where we were almost roommates yes i do remember that yeah (laughs) it's wild yeah Yeah, like in that my crappy little culver city apartment which i don't (laughs) think you ever actually saw but yeah i i I needed a roommate, and you needed, like, a place to stay, and it's like, you seem cool, you went to see, yeah, yeah. A blue sky, yeah, but then I don't know what fell through, maybe there was, like, I, I can't remember. It I was think like what a- fell through was I ended up couch surfing for free for a few months. Uh, <laughs> so honestly, like- you were better off for it, you didn't want to go to that apartment, it was awful, oh, there was trust water. trust me, I had my own yeah. shitty Culver City apartment, like, very, <laughs> kind of quickly after that, I think I couch surfed for, like, five months or so, <gasps> um, wow, yeah, it was, it was brutal but i'm like i was trying to save that money you know what i mean um and uh yeah it was like total like whiplash from like you know your parents helping you with your first gig out of school to like okay now you're in los angeles have fun paying rent (laughs) like so um and for a while like when i first got to la like i came out for a jib jab thing where i was art directing on an animated children's book and that gig was only gonna be about like five months and so I it was a big risk for me taking that uh, job. That's, that's probably how I became aware of you because at the time yeah. I was like trying to hang out with the Jib Jab people. Yeah, I was, yeah. I what I never worked for Jib Jab, but like, my, like a couple people from my school like mm-hmm. were there, and 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 I I was yeah, but I I remember like I must have been how we started. Oh, I'm sure. Fun. Yeah, because that's when I was couch surfing because I was like, this gig's gonna end in like five and- months, and then I'm gonna be fucked until i find something well, else hey that it worked out it and did, then you know but... like just because like just because it's fun to breathe and visit yeah this, i'm not sure but i think did you were you the one who talked to jess brudski about like creasing the wheels for what eventually became like the opportunity i got like did you talk to her i about, probably like, did i mean i definitely I, I definitely remember your work being extremely inspirational I to me i feel like it was <clears throat> your word and your recommendation that drew her to like, oh, send the story test for banicula that's why all throughout banicula i was like oh man oh, we gotta get lunch i gotta yes. think and we like never could oh yeah and no it, was like, it totally was yeah, yeah for banicula 100 yeah. percent. yeah, yeah that, so you're i have you to thank <laughs> for that that was my first gig in tv animation before that i was working on feature oh, word. And I, was, I, I consciously pivoted for basically the same reason you did early on yep. like you know i wanted the frequency and all that so yeah, there's been these weird touchstones For real. early on in our <laughs> career, kind of just ships passing through the night, never was on the same production, never, you know, yeah. I just always kind of like was aware of you and respected and admired your stuff, and 
I, I get tastes and tidbits of like, like I, I remember, um, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I was even aware you were on uh, Monsters until like t- two or three years ago when I went to Disney, uh-huh. and then and then you like gave me like a welcoming email, like, oh, oh you're here, yeah. you're. I was like, oh shit, you're here too, and it, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, no, it's for sure. And now I'm just like, whole... we gotta get coffee, man. Like we gotta, we gotta do, we gotta I, do something. Now. I don't know if we ever did. I mean, this is coffee. This is yeah, right. All this right. is nice, right? <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that finally, you know, I can talk to you. That uh, yeah, it's just it's just so funny how that works. I know out. it's yeah, crazy. So th- thanks for that. <laughs> oh, of course, absolutely. Like I said, like I love your stuff so much, and yeah, oh. it's like that that thing, right? Like finding like kinship with people, and um, they're like the things that they do that resonate with you, and like your comedy mm. and stuff. Like it, it totally did easily. Um, and yeah, I love it. I love like. This industry, that's the other thing about, like, what I was saying about, like, making sure that we're all, like, good to each other. It's, like, we're all gonna, like, I'm sure there's gonna come a day where you and I work together. You know what I mean? Like, it's definitely gonna happen. We run into people all the time in this business, um, even if it's just in the hallway. Um, But, yeah, (laughs) it's, I remember, though, um, when I was couch surfing, there was, like, just to speak to the honesty of, like, coming out to L.A. and doing the thing, right? Um, There was, like, a... I think it was like, yeah, it was like five or six months of employment at Jib Jab. And I was like, cool, this gets me out to LA, which had been like my big goal. Like I was, I was kind of sick of the East coast at that point. I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to like go to LA. Cause I had been out for CalArts. And when I went there, I had like decided like, I want to live in LA. I'm one of the weird people that like, <laughs> I really like it here. Like, and I, I, I definitely wanted to be here. Um, I grew up in like, like I said, rural New Jersey. So I was like ready for like some city-ish vibes right and uh so I was just desperate to get out and even though the gig was short I was like I'm taking it it gets me there I'll figure it out and um and so I did and then I had to figure it out and it was like five months of testing and just waiting for like answers and it was like the most grueling time like just sitting around and then it was like everybody got back to me the same week uh, which is how I ended up only boarding one episode of Teen Titans Go (laughs) um I I like got kind of poached honestly from teen titans go by the warner brothers feature division and at that point it was just like better pay uh honestly and it was also like i was really excited to work with sergio um so i did one episode freelance and then i immediately went to feature instead of taking that like um long-term gig with them Mm -hmm. and yeah but it was like crazy i actually like i almost accepted a position as a revisionist on gravity falls but I knew people on the show who were telling me it was ending. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to take that job because I, at the time, I didn't really understand. Oh, Disney kind of has a little bit of an umbrella that they try to like repurpose people on different shows. And, you know, it might not have necessarily ended exactly at the time of. I also didn't understand that revisionists kind of can hang back and stay longer sometimes because they're fixing <laughs> some things. Um, yeah. So, but, it, and I, in hindsight, I kind of wish I. I did it just because it would have helped me learn the pipeline a little bit more. Um, oh, dude, you, you know? I think you made like the perfect, you, <laughs> I got, got you had all the experiences and look at where you, and you still became a drinker at 27. No, no, yeah. no regrets. Like you, you have had a, I mean, you know, I, I don't, and I remember seeing your test uh, for, cause you posted it. Oh I was yeah, like, I did. I did. Again, like just more like assurances, like, oh man, that K per, that man, it's really, <laughs> They're really good. That's so kind. Oh, and, and, Thank you. And then uh, I even remember the only tidbit I saw from your Titans episode, it was like Robin, like making a weird 
face in front of like a bowl or a oh, piece of yeah, meat or was, something. <laughs> yeah, it was like he was beating the meat. <laughs> 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 he, he, yeah. They were like making ramen. I think was the the story thing was like the Titans were making ramen and right. uh, yeah, it was. I think they did a version of that joke at some point in a later episode that I've seen since, but it's Cyborg doing it instead. Right. But yeah, I know it's like a a, a reaction gif that I've seen <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah, for, like, exactly. You know. But yeah, Robin was like tenderizing the meat for the ramen God, and so, so to speak funny. uh yeah that was my test and then i i did like a a sequence with uh beast boy and raven and tara um that actually made it to air that show was really fun like i it was very brief for me but like it was i love teen titans that was another one that was like super formative for me as a kid um and i uh i was just so delighted to like work with those characters in any capacity again it's like to me it was kind of on par with like alan menken and working with his material like i got to like hear the titans voices and i mean the way that it worked was they would give you the audio um the radio play Mm -hmm. right for for the show and then you kind of animated almost to it um in flash yeah in flash Uh uh-huh i used to know flash that's crazy to me i'm like god if i opened if the program existed to open again today like (laughs) i don't know if i ever told you i I was on teen titans go for a hot second after Uh vinicula oh really oh cool yeah and i lied about knowing flash (laughs) how did you survive I, it was kind of a, a hard month for Oof. me. Me- Megan can attest. It was because yeah. I, I had to hit the ground running. I can and like, imagine. It was, it was it was rough. Yeah, me, I can like, imagine. Not know any shortcuts at all, but it's like I can do it. I and I was like burnt out as shit yeah. from like ridiculous and stuff. But I just wanted at the time, you know, I was like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to uh, make a big splash here. And also because I, you know, I knew that. You, oh, okay, was on it. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't even know where you were at the time. Part of me maybe thought you. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it was, it was hard for me too. I mean, like I knew it because I had done it, like I've used it recreationally a little bit, Um, but it's a, it was challenging for sure. It's not intuitive for me. I I don't know. I ought to learn Toon Boom. That's like I know. I I keep thinking I should put more effort into learning Toon Boom myself um, because I, I honestly do like, I would say 90% of all of my art in Storyboard Pro um, yeah, me too. Which, yep. <laughs> you know, it's, but then I'll draw in, I mean, this sounds like sinful to say, but I'll draw in Photoshop sometimes. And then I'm like, <laughs> I feel like, I know, it's like no one does that anymore, but like, I, I will. And then I'm like, oh, this like looks better and feels better. And I like these brushes better. And then I'm like, I should learn Procreate because that's where everyone actually draws now. <laughs> like, oh, um, well, do you have an iPad? Like, I do, just, but that's... I don't love drawing on it, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I lean really hard into my Cintiq and like hunch over in a super healthy way. <laughs> so like, I'm very like physically, I'm used to that kind of setup. And so it's, it feels unfamiliar and unnatural for me to draw on an iPad. Um, and right. I don't know if I can overcome it uh, to draw with, you know, in Procreate. And I-, I will say I've never really done, I feel like the work I do in Procreate, it's only when I'm like, it's a, diff- it's like a different kind of drawing. Yeah, it's kind of, it, that makes it's sense. not exactly like, you know, it's a little more doodly and loose because I do, I have learned to love vectors in Storyboard yep, Pro. and me be, too. You know what I, yep. I, it was resistant to them at first, but now it's like, oh man, this is how I prefer to lay down lines yep. and whatnot. Yeah, but, it makes it know. feel real clean and crisp. And it's funny because yep. like then I'll sometimes I'll go back to like paper and my shit's so chaotic and sketchy and like... <laughs> 
And sometimes I'm like, I love that because I feel like in storyboard pro, sometimes it can get really rigid. Like I feel like my art has a rigidity to it a lot of the time. Um, but it also has like this clean kind of crisp structure that I appreciate about storyboard pro um, just because yeah. of the vectorization of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think about Toon Boom too, um, because sometimes like I've been doing these little TikTok animations with a bunch of my characters and like, you know, it's, it's that sort of like Nate Rag like theory, right. Of like minimal animation. Like, um, a lot of the times I don't even intend on it being an animation. And then I change my mind halfway through and I'm like, no, I'm going to puppet this a little bit. Um, and I'm not the most sophisticated puppeteer when it comes to that kind of stuff, <laughs> nor do I consider myself to really be an animator. Um, but I, every time I get into it, I'm like, this would probably be a lot easier if I were in an animation program <laughs> and maybe mm -hmm. I should explore that, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm very much the same way. I, I <laughs> guess you just need to have like the incentive. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure it'll happen eventually. I'm very, very slow to learning new tools though. I even find, I find out about a tool that I should have been using for eight years, like way too late. Like yep. I didn't know about the razor tool in Premiere. So I did all my editing just by pinching and pulling squares, like without ever cutting a thing. And like, like yeah. I just, and it's like, oh, I could have saved a year of time. I know. I I'm like, even whenever they like, about whenever they update Storyboard Pro and I'm like, I'm, I know there's probably really cool things that are happening here that I'm not aware of and they would make my life a lot easier. But, like, I never take the time to, like, learn those shortcuts. And it's, like, I know there's probably a billion things I could be doing to make life better for myself. But I'm, like, but I, I'm in my way of doing things. And anything well, feels disruptive, you know? If it's yeah. important enough, you'll probably absorb it. Pick it, it up and, eventually, uh, right? You know, some, someone will kind of, like point your nose into it and then like i don't that's like it's usually like yeah like i'll find out about one little thing and i'll add it to my roster but like coming from traditional or whatever like because mm -hmm. i was very stubborn like i guess a lot of folks like and it sounds like you uh, were online and did da but i like was very resistant to ever working uh <laughs> digitally until like i kind of had to for college so mm -hmm. you know all i had was paper and pencil and you don't have any control z or get anything for free so I, I, I did do a lot of carving out swimmy drawings and stuff like that. And I don't know. It's weird. My I guess working in vectors like we do in Storyboard Pro forced that efficiency a little bit more out of me. But I don't know. I kind of – I almost wonder if I have half of sort of what you were talking about because – I, I can visualize things, but then when I execute it, it's always a little different. It's not like it's yeah. a direct well, that's what translation. I've, that's what I've yeah. heard from most people is like it's not like literally like I see the finished image, right? It's like yeah. you just kind of get like a sense of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, right. it's hard for me to say because I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I don't see anything. But that's that's not uncommon from what I've heard from people who are like, well, hold on. It's not exactly, you know – that literal um but yeah i i get what you mean um because i have a friend who like she literally put it to me that exact same way where it's like <laughs> it, it still always comes out like a little different and you still you know wanna sometimes you're frustrated by your inability to like execute something exactly yeah. the way I, that... I bet there's like i i almost wonder if there must be like a spectrum there is like some people have yeah. like a more like the <clears throat> extreme of it would be people with photo memory there's, or something. Well, there's hyperphantasia, which is the opposite, where you can like hyper visualize. Like you could like oh, I assume that's what people mean when they say that they can like 
not just picture an apple, but the apple can recede in space and they can rotate it and they can make it prismatic and like all this mm-hmm. kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's <laughs> yeah, what yeah. hyperfantasia is. Um, I might be wrong about that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And I know it exists. Um, and then if you actually Google that apple thing, like if you look up apple aphantasia, there's like five different versions of how it could look. Um, so it's not just like literally there or not there. It's like, mm-hmm. there is definitely a spectrum. Cause I have friends that are like, yeah, I see like, I guess a faint phantom image of a green apple, but then there's people that are like, no, I see every dewdrop on the red apple and it's glistening in the sunlight in a picnic basket. Like, and it's like <laughs> crazy, like how much detail they'll ascribe to it. So there definitely is a spectrum. <clears throat> so interesting. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? Like just yeah. stuff I like never knew, never would have thought about. I could have lived a simple life. <laughs> No, this is this is the correct life. You, you're 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 winning. I, at least it's easy for me to say. I'm not, but like, I, it, it sure seems like you've got you know, especially considering everything that you've learned and been through and stuff, that you've got a good head on your shoulders. Oh, thank and, you. And you know, you're the like, yeah, doing great. It sounds, and I'm. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I'm inspired hearing about your journey, and especially like. Uh, the the growth as painful as it was sometimes or whatever it's all yeah. relevant you know well yeah there's and, there's good lessons and hard lessons too like even yeah. if it's a lesson mm-hmm. in what you never want to go through again or or what you never want to you know um contribute to yeah. imparting on somebody um every lesson's a lesson <laughs> and yeah i think yeah. now for me the next step is like uh, finding like the confidence in in pitching and kind of like going for like my own thing and so there's this this like micro step that I'm taking um in publishing my first like homebrew thing and um and dming was even the step before that because it's like I'm really I would say that's even more because that's like live and that's real time and reactive Uh so I I like you know it's you're there like I guess you know if you need the assurance of like you know a formal publication but if you're already like doing that and you're a very you're well articulated and you're good at speaking and delineating and you're in a leadership role you're like so there that, you know that means so a, much I think it's, it's just struggling to believe it you know what I mean like it's it, well, it's funny I actually spoke to um some studio leadership recently about how for the first time I feel like okay I am I might be ready to show you guys some stuff and they were like <laughs> excited and I told them I was like honestly like I have felt sometimes like I don't necessarily have, um, I, I think I even use the words like a right to pitch things for like mm. children's television because I'm not an adult that plans on having kids. And like, you know, mm. I, my tastes can, you know, I, I like horror. I like, you know, um, not adult in the sort of like, you know, crude adult animation sense, but like, I like, like, I feel like the stuff I like isn't actually very represented in animation. Well, yeah, well here's the thing, you know? like you know, like that's what kids like too. I know, kids and like I know that, honesty. and I know that, and it, but it's like from from, but it, it was kind of that question of like, why me? Like, why do I deserve to like tell that mm-hmm. story? And the woman I was speaking to was just like, what the f- like? Why would you say that? Like, you know, and why? What are you? What are you talking about? Like, of course you have uh, a perspective and a vantage point. And what I realized was like, I do, and the point where I started like my ideas for things I want to pitch on started to really crystallize for me when I started thinking about like when I was, when I was a kid, 
Like what, what did I need to see that I didn't see? And what was I experiencing? And, um, you know, like I was a fat kid, I was a queer kid. I, you know, I had the feelings of, you know, like gender dysmorphia and, you know, not feeling connected to my body that at the time there wasn't language for me in my life to articulate those things. Um, but I have that experience. Like I, there's a lot, I had anxiety. Like there's, there's a lot I was going through actually. And like, all of that is stuff that I could speak to in my storytelling. Mm. I had things I liked and cared about. And, and, you know, I, I have all these artistic tastes and things that, you know, atmospherically I want to see animation do more. And, and I have a, I do have a vantage point. And I think I, right now I'm just struggling with like the courage of conviction to try to advocate yeah. for it and, and, and communicate that. Um, because it's, I've, I've conquered the fear of communicating on like story in a room with people, right. That I had back when I was on more like, you know, awful productions. Uh, but now (laughs) Mm. it's reaching the point of having to advocate like almost for myself and my like lived experience in a sense. Mm -hmm. And that gets scary again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's like, that's, that's like the current hurdle, but I'm, I'm starting to feel confident in that. And I think that has also been something that like, having leadership experience now is helping me with that confidence. Like I, I feel like I could be more responsible for directing a big group of people and pushing a vision forward, but not, you know, on the backs of people. And, um, I think Mm -hmm. I just needed time. Like I, I really just needed some time to, to grow that confidence and I've stopped chastising myself for it, you know? And, um, I still struggle with the confidence, but it's, I feel like it's, it's happening in a way that's exciting to me now. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm rolling with it. <laughs> we'll that see will, what happens. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that's going to become an abstraction in time. I hope because, so. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. yeah. You're going to look back on that and be like, oh yeah, that was when I was like spending needless energy. Like, yeah. cause like you have a story to tell if anyone, you know, especially because of the reasons you just listed and your taste and, and listen, like, you know, not that. It, the fact that you, if you aren't planning on having kids like mm-hmm. you, you'll have that much more time to dedicate to something bigger, like, you know, that would become something that does have an effect on an even right. bigger pool of young people. Like if, if it is for, you know, a younger audience mm-hmm. or whatever, like that, I feel like if anyone were like worthy of having the opportunity to tell a story like that, like, yeah, you I, I'm excited to see what it what it could be, you know, and, and I, again, I remember being a kid and wanting, you know, honest, like, fun, authentic storytelling, mm-hmm. and I, I've said this many times, but I always knew when I was being pandered to, yeah. and I hated having to Kids wait for the thing yeah. I actually wanted to come on, but I'd have to get through all the other tepid, you know, mm-hmm. inauthentic whatever schlock yep. that Nickelodeon was force feeding me it's when all so I true. wanted. Yep. It's something yeah. that I, I tried to express with, um, there's this character Varian on our Tangled show that was super popular and I instantly understood why. Um, that character was much more relatable to like, I think the kind of young person watching our show than perhaps like the perfect princess rapunzel as beloved as she is or the cool guy Mm -hmm. eugene you know like in i think like it was an entry point for a lot of people he was very relatable he went through a very emotional journey as a character um he had that sort of flawed villain arc that he then got to work back from that was very compelling in a way that our main character didn't and like 
I understood that and I always advocated for the character because of those reasons. Um, and there were like people on the show would just be like, he, but he's a nerd, you know, like no one cares. And like, what? and I just like, I felt people like he, love the underdog. I, I know. And, and I think yeah. that's, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a generational thing of like some of the, the trauma of like, you know, I think a lot of, those same people were maybe the nerds growing up where they grew up or like in school. And, you know, like yeah. maybe they didn't address that, but like just speaking again for myself, like I think a lot about like, like I'm a bigger person, like I'm a fat person and I'm like, is there any positive storytelling about fat people outside of like Kung mm -hmm. Fu Panda? I really don't think so <laughs> actually. Like, and mm -hmm. I think we're, we're getting a little bit more of it maybe, but like not really. And like, growing up as like a fat kid and like that being a you know a struggle of mine my whole life like um you know it's it's that same thing with like anything where you don't want like the whole story to focus on that thing yes. but it would be nice if like it was acknowledged or um I remember being in some like corporate meeting once where this statistic was shared with the group of people I was reviewing it with and and it was like everyone was like oh what like that's incredible I never would have guessed but to me I was like well yeah <laughs> I think because I grew up fat um that it was basically saying that kids reviewed um a series of images where uh there was like a skinny kid who was doing these physical tasks it was like a, an exercise motivation poster or something and so there was like the character was portrayed as skinny and then they were portrayed as fat doing those same activities, um, doing them successfully, but doing them. And mm. which one motivated kids to work out more or and like what kinds of kids did it motivate to work out? And apparently this, this didn't surprise me, but it was I think they were testing like which like were obese kids more motivated to become physical after seeing and it was the fat kid because course, they were relatable. Yeah, they were <laughs> seeing, oh, I can climb a tree if I want. Like, and I think like that is important. Like, it's represent, you know, representation matters, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just showing positive things, uh, you know, that way. It, it's it's really affirming, and um, so it's really funny that you're you're bringing that up because I was thinking about like I recently um signed up for a gym and that particular gym is like in direct competition with two other gyms and mm -hmm. in, in like that like they're kind of sharing that same turf and I'm like they all have the same ads yep. it's all like yep. like skinny fit people and I'm like and the gym that I picked is the one that's like a little less popular and I'm like mm -hmm. I feel like they should have the ad of like hey this is your everyday joe working out yeah and i feel like that would be right but you know maybe they just don't care about it i think it's just really funny to think about that like they just decide like gyms are just like no yeah only fit listening people anyway a hundred percent no a hundred percent and i think like that was just like you know i grew up with like people in you know animation and live action as well for sure like who looked like me being the butt of the joke or like, mm -hmm. you know, the ignored friend, the comedic relief, like best bud type thing. And it's like, it sucks. Like, and <laughs> it sticks with you in ways that like you wouldn't expect, you know, you mm -hmm. sometimes relegate yourself to those areas in life without even being conscious of it because it's what you expect because it's what everybody expects because, you know, media has a big pull on 
perception and social norms and stuff and we have a lot of power with what we do and we have the power to imbue things with more positivity and I just feel like we should you know so um on that point alone it's like okay maybe I do have like something to say about all this you know and so it's for sure you know that kind of stuff and especially with like everything else that you value in what makes like a work technically yeah i I'm, i'd be very excited and i don't think i've seen that in animation like you said except for kung fu pan mm-hmm. i was like thinking that is there anything else like i'm thinking about movies and even then it's like few and far and it's always like kind of treated like you know this like anomaly or whatever and i yeah i i feel like uh that could be yeah I don't, well you know like yeah. let's let's see it happen i want to <laughs> get get with it i mean what disney i don't know whatever everybody I, I, yeah I'm, like, <laughs> I'm half afraid like you know to speak candidly like you have a few times but you know there are things i, I i'm sure it's a great i hope that they seriously consider you know like what you mm-hmm. have to offer mm-hmm. because it would be not you know yeah it'd be worthwhile like it'd be really well, cool. yeah, I mean, like, to speak, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll swing for the fences. <laughs> like, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's that whole thing, right, about, like, queer people really identifying with Disney villains. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, you know, because Disney villains are often codified in ways to, you know, they have mm-hmm. queer, you know, relevant traits and stuff. And they also have a lot of body diversity. They look different. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, then all the protagonists kind of look very similar and it's, there's like Mm -hmm. this clear, like right way to look. That's the good way to be because Mm -hmm. the good guys look that way. Um, And you have a few things that have tried to spin that trope on its head, you know, like they tried to do it with Frozen and stuff like that. Um, But it's not enough. I feel like, you know, the fact that we haven't seen, I mean, it was, I think Hillary Bradfield finally put that short out um, about the plus size ballet kid um on disney plus that's beautiful it talks about this kind of stuff um so i I take it back there's one more thing and it's it's Mm -hmm. hillary's project um and uh (laughs) yeah but it's it's like you know we still haven't seen like i i've never seen a fucking disney princess that looks like me you know like when i was Mm -hmm. identifying as female that like looked and represented me um and that's a bummer. It's, it's you know, and it's, I think there are many people that have felt that way about those kinds of things. And I, I wouldn't localize it even to just Disney princesses because I think it's a protagonist thing. Like it's, yes, you know, yeah. it, mm-hmm. and I think that's why a lot of, you know, people who feel ostracized or sort of left out of the conversation about what's good or positive um, relate to the the villain characters or the peripheral characters because they can't relate to the protagonists like it's you know because they're so limited to what they can be um and Mm -hmm. i i just want to see more diversity in protagonists in general um because i i think everybody's flawed i think everybody's capable of being cruel and hurtful um i think and making mistakes and um, you know, deep grief and joy and, and, and it's just, you know, people are not tropes and, um, you know, I want to see those things, that humanity imbued in more stuff. And honestly, I think like, I totally relate to what you had said, Carl, like I, kids, they know when they're being spoken down to, you know, like kids yeah. know a lot more than we give them credit for. And, um, they're dealing with very real things i mean like just like the access to like the internet and like everything alone i mean the things Mm -hmm. that kids know and the way that kids speak they're so intelligent and it's such a shame like i've i've read treatments of things where 
they're like, yeah, this we want you to do a take on this. It's for a demographic um, of uh, what what are they say? like twelve to sixteen year olds, and I'll read it, and I'm like, this reads like it's for babies, like six year olds, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. like, and you're telling me that high schoolers, middle schoolers are supposed to read this? Like, no way! Like, what do you yeah. mean? And it's you know, I just want to see more. I don't know honesty in that kind of yeah. stuff you know yeah yeah for sure yeah that's that's i i love that i think that's such a great i think that's such a great way to um wrap up this episode we want to see more honesty in media yeah. and i think people like the internet gravitates to that towards that anyway because mm-hmm. that's what kids are looking for on on tiktok youtube etc they just yep. want authenticity exactly and that's a really good point and that is a good thing yeah. to end on like it's on tiktok mm-hmm. like I mean, you're speaking directly to people from all over the world, like without any interception, right? And you're really, yeah. you're getting that realness and that truth and that honesty. And I think that's what, you know, these big industries are competing with is yes. genuine honesty perspective, you know, that is not filtered through anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to imbue that in our storytelling. We have to, because we're competing with people just having conversations with each other that we refuse to highlight or have in our art and art is a reflection of society. And so if we're not going to invite these vantage points and these conversations to our art, then we're, we're going to be missing a big part of the soul of whatever it is we're trying to make and the relatability, um, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's not a, a, a marketable thing or a number or, you know, it, it's real. It's the reality that people are living in and speaking to it. So yeah, a thousand percent. Amen to that. <laughs> and with that amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the end of this creative. <laughs> well, thank you guys so Woo. much for drawing so much beautiful stuff as I just mostly rambled. Um, oh my God. That's what we wanted you to do. I so, love this. Um, I'm just like looking through everything now and I'm like blown away by all the sketches. I see. There's a couple of gems. No, you did some great stuff too. Yeah. You did like the, this whole oh, page. I, I'm just like flipping now. I, I, I see like my OCs. You guys drew it so cool. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't know, I didn't have so a lot of room. Good. It's like, oh, I Thank wanted you. to honor the full body, but I did that I thing where it's it. like, oh, I just the chest or whatever. I was like, oh, man, what? what? Yeah, but. You know, oh, so cool. Always... Thank you guys so much. <laughs> of course. Thank you. Thank you, Kay, for being our guest Absolutely. and sharing your story. Thank you, Thank you yeah. so much for and having me. A, and thanks to our listeners, uh, follow us on Twitter at Creative Block, which is spelled C-R-T-V-B-L-O-C-K, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Uh, huge thanks to our editor, Clements, for editing the podcast, and Marco, hi Marco, for helping us produce the show. If you love our show, then support us on Patreon. Becoming a patron gets you early access to interviews as well as bonus episodes. It helps us pay for things like The Drive and Zoom and our amazing crew, Clements and Marco. Click click the link in the description of this episode. I have been your host, V. And I was Carl. And uh, keep being creative. And we'll see you next week. Bye! 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 <laughs> <laughs>